Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Wednesday morning, April the 12th, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. You want to pick up where we left off or you want to go in a different direction? I don't have any sporting news. I don't have anything to talk about other than, yeah, I do. You ready? The national media, the national sports media yesterday, um, imagine this, detected some of the same um, sentiments we did about the Masters. The Masters had uh, a, an unbelievably spectacular uh, report as it relates to viewership. I mean, I think it was nearly 17 million viewers at some point in time on um, on Sunday. Now, this is kind of interesting to me. Some of the um, some of the numbers were impacted by Paramount streaming. They've got some sort of collaborative effort between CBS News, no CBS Network, or CBS Broadcasting, um, and and Paramount Streaming. They farmed out some of the streaming to Paramount, and they did much better in that um, uh, format than they ever imagined or anticipated. And it's young people. I mean, it's young people who are not um, watching television in traditional um, and historic means. They're doing it another way. So they were they were very satisfied with the CBS number. They were uber satisfied with the Paramount streaming number. Um, I'll leave it there because I don't understand much more um, than that. Cutting the cord now. Now that the the sports media did um, kind of go down the road of Phil Mickelson, they didn't say it the way I said it because I said um, that if Phil Mickelson, if Tiger Woods had done what Phil Mickelson did Sunday at Augusta National. They would have had a worship service on Easter Sunday, <laughs> and Jesus wouldn't have been the central the central figure. It would have been, uh, you know, the uh, the resurrection of Tiger Woods and his golf career. But the national sports media speculated that CBS and the PGA had a deal, and the Masters doesn't much care. You know what I mean? It's kind of an island. It does its thing. Um, you can't wear your hat backwards, but you can smoke cigarettes. Um, it's kind of a throwback. It does. It walks to the beat of its own drum, literally, and it's a very um, in sync drum beat. They don't get out of sorts very often. Um, what tree? Uh, I, you know, that's a that's a um, that's a tree transitioning into a log. That's that's not a fallen tree. Like it never happened. But I mean, think about that, Rev. I mean, one of the preeminent sporting events in the world. I mean, it really is. If you're a golfer, obviously it's it's as big as it gets. But even for the non golfer. I mean, the number 16, 17 million viewers. So even folks like me, who normally don't watch very much golf, tune in uh, for the Masters, and you got to kind of remind yourself, we had three trees fall on one of the most storied golf courses in the history of mankind because they ain't talking about it, Jack. <laughs> um, did the Chinese do this? See, this is where talk radio serves a purpose. And, did, and I was watching, I know you were there on Friday, but I was watching the coverage, obviously, it was on ESPN. And they did show the trees falling, and they did mention it. But what they mentioned more than anything is every time they came back, because they were obviously, play had been suspended, and they were filling time, but they come back and said, I want to assure you, no one was hurt. No, everyone is okay. And they were saying it very calm. It was Scott Van Pelt on ESPN. Ev everybody is okay. There is no problem. And then they showed a live shot of the 17th tee, and the, the ground crews are there. They have chainsaws. They're cutting those it's logs. Gone. It, and then by the time Saturday morning <laughs> got there, like it never happened. What tree? Exactly. What tree? Um, but anyway, the um, the national media was in agreement with what we um, what we said earlier this week about you know Phil being a LIV golfer, and they were not going to um, 
that they were not going to make him one of the central figures until he made them. I mean, you and I agree that by he by the time he gets to the back nine and, and he started to kind of make a run, and Phil is, is famous for that. I mean, Phil would be the one player that can shoot 40 on the front nine and 30 on the back nine. That, that's really been the story of his golfing career. Um, and when he began making putts, but he's always hitting great iron shots. And if he hits the fairway, I mean, if Phil Mickelson's, I know this about golf. You ready? That there's one thing I know about hockey. There's only one thing in my life that I know about hockey, and it's 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 outdated now. If you hit Wayne Gretzky, look out. I mean, I know that. If you hit Wayne Gretzky, look. I don't care if it's accidental, if it's intentional, if you're signed, if trying to send a message, or if you just stumbled on your skates and fell into the back of of Wayne Gretzky, somebody's gonna send you to the dentist. <laughs> I mean, that, that's just the way it is that's because he was roll. the guy that, you know, um, the face of the sport that were going to protect him with, with everything imaginable. The other thing I know about golf, if Phil Mickelson hits it in the fairway, he's going to score. Now, now his struggles are off the tee and he hits in the rough and he scrambles and he makes, a, once again, a 40 on the front nine and a 30 on the back nine or a 30 on the front nine and a 40 on the back. And I think that's why people find him interesting. Uh, what did we use earlier this week that um, I think uh, that swashbuckler? I mean, he would be yeah. a swashbuckling kind of kind of golfer. Um, Phil, let's play it safe and hit it the fairway. Who remembers that? You know, let's try to carry the water. Let's try to loop it around that tree. Let's try to draw it around the bend. And that's been kind of the way he's. Um, I mean, his golf career is reflective of that that style of play. But but the national media agreed that CBS should have accepted, even embraced. The fact that a 52-year-old golfer is having one of the greatest moments in Masters history, and, and major history for that matter, uh, by shooting such a low score in a in a real difficult uh, moment. In other words, the golf course had gotten real wet. The wind was blowing. I mean, it was playing hard, so to speak, as they say. And Phil still shot 65 at 52 um, years old. Should have been a bigger story. Oh, yeah. But, but CBS... <laughs> In concert with the PGA, said, "Okay, we both know where our bread gets buttered uh, as it relates to golf. So let's 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 shine a brighter light on the um on the PGA players than um than some of the others. Brooks Kepka would have been the other. Patrick Reed, if I'm not mistaken, is a live player, and that's what one of these guys was saying. Um, three of the top five scores were live players. So when you say you know they yeah. they they weren't up for the uh, for the grind, mm-hmm. well I mean three of the top five. That's let me think real quick. Pamplico Indians. That's sixty percent. Sixty percent of the top five were live players um, that play in shorts, play fifty four holes, um, play music, you know, do whatever it is they do. I, I mean, I remember thinking somewhere toward the end, and there were several several holes left for the final pairing for Rom, and he was ahead by a few strokes. But Phil was tied for second, and I said, you know, if something really weird happened and Rom just fell apart and you know lost a bunch of strokes, I mean, there's a chance that that Phil's in contention to to you know go into a playoff or whatever to win. I heard Phil say yesterday he knew eight wasn't good enough because of the fives. I mean, the par those guys have a line, you know, they yeah. understand. When you hear the NASCAR guy say, "Well, the camber's out or the stagger's out, or we left two pounds of pressure off," you and I go, well, "What does that mean?" Well, I mean, that guy knows. Runt, runt with a toothpick in his mouth knows exactly <laughs> what it means when the camber's out or the stagger's off, or they're down on power. Well, when Phil, I mean, when Phil made that putt to go eight under, I mean, he's played enough golf. He knew that it, well, if I'd made that putt to go nine or even ten, you know, I, I can I can sit back and and have a decent chance. But he knew that Rom and Kepka are long, and they were going to just take over. You know, they were going to overpower the par fives. 
And I think Field had already done kind of a calculation. I mean, I don't know Phil Mickelson, but I've watched him play a little golf over the years. And and you could just tell in his body language, I'm putting for birdie on 18 to go eight under. That ain't going to be enough. But if I were putting for birdie to go 10 under, even nine under, yeah. then yeah, I'll hang around here and see how it um how it sorts itself out. 843-661-0937. I did read yesterday, I threatened um, to do more information gathering than I did about the military industrial complex. What we played the um, the bit yesterday between Kathleen Hicks, who is a deputy director or a deputy secretary at the Pentagon, um, John Stewart, the John Prine of media, uh, and the reason we call John Stewart the John Prine of media. Revs told me before for you early morning listeners who didn't listen to the last part of the show, um, they're these singer songwriters who've never become. Um, you know, I, what, what am I trying to say? They've never been Hall of Famers. Yeah, yeah. Com- very, a lot commercial of commercial success. success. I mean, they've, they've got this cult following almost. They've got this this kind of a niche audience, and Prime would be one, one of the uh, performers who has never – I mean, he's had a little bit of commercial success, but nothing like but, – but when he goes to a, um, a North Charleston uh, Coliseum, it's nearly full, and everybody knows every word to every song. And, and Rev says the reason Prime has never garnered commercial success – is you kind of sort of don't know where to put him. Mm-hmm. I mean, of what genre do you participate in, John Prine? Is it folk? Is it country? Is it pop? Is it rock? Um, it's a little bit of it's a little bit of all of that in the weirdest way imaginable. So um, we were kind of using that uh, analogy to to offer up um, what were we we're talking about Prine and um, John Stewart, and and we argued that John Stewart was the John Prine of media because he's a comedian. He's a, I mean, at times a, a, a host of some of these award shows. He's high regarded. Um, I'll say this about John Stewart. I think you'll agree with me. He's an unbelievably bright man sure, and, 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 and very articulate in, in proposing his points of view. And, um, and he sat down and you asked me yesterday, how did he end up with that job? How did John Stewart end up uh, interviewing Kathleen Hicks, who was a deputy secretary at the Pentagon? And I looked for about 20 minutes last night, couldn't find the answer to that. I mean, it was at some event, uh, some symposium where a lot of um, people gathered. And I don't know if it was a, um, a pro-DOD event, an anti-DOD event. But, uh, but, but nonetheless, he c- kind of offered up some questions that she struggled with. That was late in the show. We, we may do that again this morning, Rev. We may pay that or play that John Stewart, Kathleen Hicks um, interview because I think it was Bob late in the show yesterday that said, you know, the nervous laughter, the the, the cackling and giggling, a little bit like Kamala Harris. Uh, that's kind of a, a kind of a deflection. In other words, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, but, but who should really <laughs> who should really worry about this? I don't think I did. I don't think I did that. You know, and he's asking real serious questions and, and getting some of those sorts of um, of answers. Just seems to be kind of you know standard operating procedure in american politics today but john stewart did a good job of asking kathleen hicks some of the um some of the expending reality in other words the, the expenditures the pentagon is responsible for and and we read this yesterday and i'll read it again and then we'll go to the phone there's a 98 page report by the national defense strategy commission and I mean, I highlighted a couple of things that caught my attention. Once again, I didn't read all 98 pages. I kind of uh, speed read some of what um, the National Defense Strategy Commission had to say. But I found this interesting. 
America's long-standing military advantages have diminished. But that's verbatim. America's long-standing military advantages have diminished. Here's another quote. The country's strategic margin for error has become distressingly small. Doubts about America's ability to deter and, if necessary, defeat opponents and honor its global commitments have proliferated. And when you when you contrast or juxtapose those quotes with, you know, the fact that we're spending about $850 billion a year in defense spending, um, if the Chinese have, um, if our military advantages have diminished, and it's because of the Chinese, um, they're spending about 240 to $300 billion. Now, now th- there's a theory out there that the Pentagon's not shooting us straight. Our, our advantages have not diminished. That they're 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 playing playing coy. They're misleading in some of this. They're um, they're not showing their hand. That they're not disclosing uh, you know everything they're working on. I would expect that, of course, to be true. I mean, I, I would imagine some of the military industrial complex and its contractors are working on things that you and I can't fathom nor imagine. When do we normally see these when they enter the theater? Remember some of the missiles when uh, when we attacked, uh, when we tried to seek revenge against Afghanistan for harboring uh, Osama bin Laden. Remember some of the um, um, the missile that goes into the bunker and doesn't detonate until about six seconds later after it penetrates as deep as it can, and then it blows up. I mean, that's a crazy way to kill people, but we didn't know, or I didn't. I had no idea. And then the, um, the reporter says, well, we didn't. Uh, when were these weapons made available? And some spokesperson for the Pentagon says, well, I mean, we've been in the process of developing that weaponry for the last 12 years, and this is the latest iteration of that weapon. I'd certainly expect um, some of that to be true. My concern is this, guys. I mean, if this is macroeconomics, and, and this is not as simple as I try to make it sound, but our two rivals, and I'm talking about Russia and, and China, have basically agreed that they would rather, I mean, I think Russia's agreed that America's been the, the superpower long enough. And if we got to let, I mean, I, you know, I don't think Russia believes they're going to, re- Putin may, but I don't think the world believes that Russia is going to return to its uh, to its former military might. I mean, there are too many issues that Russia is trying to address, but I do believe that they can aid and assist China into replacing us as the preeminent superpower on the planet. And I think they're fully on board with that. I don't think there's any question that Russia will do whatever it takes to replace China as the superpower over um, the good old U.S. of A. And it's not as simple as this, but but I do think this matters, and I think this comment is worthy of note. So so Russia is building, or has built, an economy on energy, the producing of power. The Chinese have built an economy on manufacturing. They make widgets, but they make a, a an abundance of widgets that the world consumes. We're not producing as much energy as we formerly had. We're not obviously manufacturing anywhere near um, what we formerly um, did, but we've got people making billions of dollars investing in synthetic derivatives. How many Chinese billionaires are, are, are have become billionaires by investing in synthetic derivatives? I mean, it's just it's kind of interesting to me, and it's not that simple. I mean, I'm not arguing that that you know every country that allows millionaires to be created out of synthetic derivatives is doomed, uh, you know, for second tier or third tier status. I understand it's far more complicated than that. But at the surface, if I've got three countries and one is mass producing energy, 
One is mass manufacturing, and the other has financialized its economy to the point where 60% of its wealth is created by investments and financial or the financialization of economies. My money's on those producers. And once again, I mean, you got to look further under the hood. There's a lot more there than what I than what I just said. But but energy manufacturing or the financialization economy long term, I'm betting on those countries that make stuff, that produce things, not those who shuffle papers around on a hedge funds desk. He makes a billion bucks a year, and there's some new financial instrument called synthetic synthetic derivatives. Eight four three six six one. 0937. Take a break. We'll be back on the other side. I know we got a call and we'll get there as soon as we return. 843 661 0937. To the phones we go. Somebody's there. We go to Breeze. Good morning. Here's the question Does Russia really believe it would be in their best interest to for America's economy and America to be destroyed or they become number three or number four or or where China is 100% unequivocally the superpower of the world, what does Russia think the Chinese will do to them? I mean, as bad as we are, I believe if I were Russia, I would rather, if I was going to be number, I would rather have America number one than China. I mean, we're less likely, well, I'd say that, you, know, you don't know if these idiots we got run to the country. But the point I mean is, I show as hell if I was Russia wouldn't trust the Chinese. And I know the Chinese don't trust the Russians because they're both communists and they know how how they behave. So I I don't know about that. That may be. And another question, too, is uh, why would we uh, intentionally deceive our enemies, telling them we're weak, to encourage them to attack us? You know what I'm saying? Why would we say, yeah, we really lost a lot of our advantage, um, you know, then the next question is, if we're spending twice the money, then we should be twice as powerful. And then you ask yourself this. Some of the people were saying, well, it's not like it's corruption. It's just we have some top secret stuff they're spending money on, and we just can't know about it. Well, that's probably, that might be true, but it also is a great way to daggle to be corrupt. You know what I'm saying? If you say, well, I just can't tell you about it. It's top secret. So you don't know where the money went. So, I mean, there's got to be an intelligence committee with the Senate. If you can trust you can tell that stuff, too. But one thing I missed the other day is I think you were talking about, um, you said you had some solutions. I thought maybe I was mistaken to what's going on here, like how to uh, restore the dollar um, to the uh, uh, world, uh, you know, to the world's currency. Did you talk about that a couple of days ago? Yeah. Thank you, Breeze. I'll try to elaborate. I mean, I've read a lot about it, and there's some smart people who give a, a variety of opinion. I mean, the first thing we got to do, let's go back to what Breeze said to begin with, because I think this is an important theme of, of a radio show. I mean, this could be a book. This could be a, an essay. This could be a lecture. This could be, I mean, obviously a radio show. I think you fundamentally got to decide whether you believe America's in decline or not. I mean, if we're spending $830 billion annually on our Department of Defense, and China spending three hundred billion, two hundred fifty to three hundred billion. You, you got to believe. I mean, despite the incompetence, despite the lobby and the corruption, despite the the waste, fraud, and abuse, despite what John Stewart says, you know that um we just don't have competent people running these these government agencies any longer. I mean, it's you can screw up a lot. Revenue covers a lot of mistakes. My father taught me that. 
in business. So if you've got revenue coming in the door, you can pay a little too much for steel. You can pay too, a little too much for welding rods. Uh, your, your, um, your garage liability policy can be a little too expensive. It's when revenue declines that you really begin to evaluate. But the first thing, Rev's in, you've been around a business. I mean, you tighten up. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, as long as revenue's coming in the door, that there's a uh, that there's not the intense motivation to be efficient or effective. And I think for a long time in American government, they had a lot of revenue coming in the door. Now, I think the DOD is probably not telling the whole story. I mean, I, I probably I'll agree with Breeze. There there are probably examples of weaponry that we're developing because of our technological, you know, advantages that, that would, would, would continue for, it would allow us to continue to reign supreme in some sort of global conflict. I mean, I believe that I don't think anybody will ever replace America as a super or as the superpower when it comes to, to fighting machines or military armaments. I mean, I still believe that, and then I'll give a little bit of credit to, I'll give a lot of credit to the military industrial complex and uh, the defense contractors. See, I, I don't think, I'll give you an example. So I, I got this kid. I mean, one of my sons, I've told you this, he's a hippie kid. I mean, he's a romantic at heart. He is a, uh, I, I think he's somewhat of an intellect. He gets that from his mama, uh, not his dad. But but he and I have had multiple conversations about life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And and he doesn't like the way the world is. Not to the point of wanting to move to Wyoming, but he doesn't like, and I've always tried to convince him, you don't have to forsake some of those eternal beliefs and values, but, but, but you can't let your life be consumed by that. There, there's, a, there's a job to be done. There's a life to be had. There's a career to pursue. That there, there are decisions to be made in, in a secular world. You've got to make them. I've got to make them. And, and it doesn't mean you're forsaking or giving up on, on some of these other intellectual romantic beliefs that you have. And um, that I, I think that's the Department of Defense. I mean, I think there are marvelously talented people in the DOD. I think Raytheon probably has some of the greatest engineer and designers in the world. But $830 billion? I mean, I, I, I question the DOD's budget. But, but I don't. I mean, is it nefarious? Is it corruption? I, I don't have any idea what it is. But, but the, the overriding sentiment is... Our government is competent or it's not. Forget corruption for a second. We know that's the case. When you have a nation of 330 million people and, and people come from all walks of life, a variety of experiences, a variety of political inclinations, you know, uh, Joe believes one thing and Dale believes another thing and Larry believes this and, and Dave believes that and Ken believes this and Ken's hippie kid believes that. I mean, that's a complicated mission to begin with. So it's going to be ripe for confusion. And, and, and we, you know, we're, we're a complicated example of self-government. I mean, we're not trying to govern ourselves and everybody looks and thinks the same. I mean, we're trying to govern ourselves and allow people to be who they choose to be. J- Jeff and I could probably drink a beer. After a beer or two, we'd probably argue about politics. I mean, I don't have a right to say, Jeff, you're wrong. you got to think what I think. Russia does that. China does that. So we're at a unique disadvantage. We don't mandate that people believe a certain thing. Now, now I think we're mandating people behave a certain way more than we should at the direction or impulse of government. But that's, you know, that, that's kind of a, a theory of mine. But, but it's hard. I mean, let, let's, let's for, for argument's sake, let's say Breeze is right. And the DOD is not disclosing 
I mean, they are light years ahead of the Chinese. They're light years ahead of the Russians when it comes to technological advancements on how to kill people and how to reign supreme militarily. I believe that. I mean, I think we still are the gold standard when it comes to how best to kill other people, how best to take over other territories. But, but Kill the, people and break things, as Rush used to say. And yeah, that's the military that's job. That's their job. I mean, that, that's their job to defend American interest. Now, we can question, is that American interest or not? But, but when I say that I think the DOD is full of waste, fraud, and abuse, that's not – I mean, you, you can hear what you choose to hear. I mean, you can choose to hear Ken say that um, the DOD is full of, uh, it's full of corruption, therefore it doesn't need to be investing in America's fighting force. No. I think we need to make investments in America's fighting force. The world's a dangerous place. I want to be kept safe. I like laying in the bed at night and, and have zero fear – of somebody storming the beaches of Myrtle Beach. I mean, I don't ever, that never crosses my mind. And a lot of nations around the world, that is given serious consideration on a daily basis. I mean, there's sirens, there are bunkers, there, there, I mean, it's like Tornado Alley on steroids. I mean, people in on Tornado Alley have uh, basements to hide from the storm, a natural disaster. Um, people in some of these European nations, that they, they've created features like that in their everyday lives for fear of some foreign attack or some foreign adversary. But they're at notions on either side. They don't have the preeminent military superpower the planet has ever known. But, but but when I say that, I question the competency in DOD. I question the commitment to, to, to um, value propositions in DOD. I mean, I think I can have it both ways. I mean, I think I can commend America for being invested or so heavily invested and the largest fighting force the world has ever known. But, but I mean, if we can do it for $600 billion, why, why wouldn't we try to do it for $600 billion? That's my point, is the $830 billion that we spend on defense necessary. I mean, I think it's necessary that we have the greatest fighting machine the world has ever known. I think that is necessary. I think we've accepted and embraced that responsibility. But, but is $830 billion an unquestionable number? What John Stewart said, we're not fighting a war now. I mean, we went from fighting a, what, a 20-year war in Iraq to not fighting a war in Iraq. We're in Afghanistan. Now we're not. And the Pentagon gets a $50 billion budget raise or increase. I mean, explain that. And nobody can because I think it's become somewhat politically untouchable. Nobody questions the Department of Defense because one of the primary functions of government in our society is what? To keep us safe and secure. At any cost? I mean, is that where we are? That, that I, as an American who believes in national defense, I believe in the DOD. I, I believe in the objectivity of the Pentagon. But but when I say, um, are we really spending, I mean, should we be spending $830 billion? I'm all of a sudden a dove and a Putin sympathizer? No, I mean, that, that's insanity if that's where we are as a nation. I'll get back to the dollar breeze. Bear with me, but, but I want to stay on this track. Let's go to the phone. JT in Florence. Good morning. You're on the air. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, so I was just joining you, Ken and, and Dave. Are you did you play the clip of John Stewart talking to the DOD representative? Yeah, we we played that yesterday about the six or seven minute clip. Yeah. So correct me if I'm wrong, but the the argument and, and she took a lot of umbrage to his even asking. By the way, did you notice that? Yeah. How dare you question my? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but I'm telling you, she JT. Got but I mean, the reason yeah, that she the reason she pushed back on those questions 
is she may potentially throw Raytheon under the bus. She may say that we paid Raytheon $100 billion over the last five years for something that just simply didn't perform. That's the dirty secret of the Pentagon that they don't want you to know. And and wasn't her argument basically, because he was bringing up, okay, you guys have essentially said you cannot pass an audit. And her argument was, you're right, but we can't pass the audit, or we can't pass any audit because of the complexity if there's there's just no way for you to account where everything is at any given time in the u.s military um across the board because of how com of how complex it is but that doesn't equal corruption that was her argument is that is that a fair synopsis correct and his whole point was simply where else would we accept that what where else would you accept uh, I, I mean, if, if you were to give somebody a million dollars, much less $830 billion, if you were to give somebody a million dollars and you were to say, okay, I want to make sure this is going in in places I believe it should, and they said, I'm sorry, it's just way too complex. Uh, I just I, you, There's a disconnect because I, I don't think she was faking that, Ken. I think genuinely she believed it's way too complex for you to even understand and, and for us to track this, and you shouldn't even be questioning our motives. But, I mean, I, I, whether, whether you want to question people's motives or not, I think it's just normal business practice, uh, if not, you know, wise to, for, for just resource uh, allocation to, to know where stuff is going. And when something is that when something becomes a sacred cow that you can't ask questions about, uh, I think we've seen that enough in history to know where it goes. So anyway, y'all have a great day. Take take care. Thank you, JT. And the definition of audit was unusual to me. The definition of audit was not forensic accounting. I mean, it was not forensic auditing. It was not, you know, um, how much have we paid Raytheon and what have we got from Raytheon? How much have we paid McDonnell Douglas and what have we got from McDonnell Douglas? Did we pay McDonnell Douglas for 100 planes and then did they deliver? Did we pay Raytheon for 100 bombs and then they, did they deliver? Now, now, what? Yeah, okay. There was 100. We wrote a check to Raytheon, the DOD, uh, federal government. You, the American taxpayer, wrote a check to Raytheon. Raytheon delivered 100 bombs. That's what we paid for. That's what we got. But but surely there were some evaluations of what kind of bombs we needed. Are they good bombs, bad bombs, overperforming bombs, uh, bombs, underperforming bombs? She, she argues that the audit does not need to entail that listing or that, that much criticism. In other words, the audit simply says, did we pay Raytheon for bombs and did they deliver the bombs? I want to do this. We won't have time in this hour. We're going to begin the 7 o'clock hour. I thought this would be a bit interesting. We'll begin the 7 o'clock hour with, um, with John Stewart, who's the John Prine of American <laughs> uh, media. Well, I mean, he's, a, um, he's a comedian. He's a political commentator. He's an actor. He's a television host. I mean, he's a lot of different um, things, and he's a smart guy. And he asked Kathleen Hicks some serious questions. And Kathleen Hicks should be the serious person in that room. But it's pretty obvious to me that John Stewart ended up being the most serious of those two having that conversation. And, um, and, and I think JT nailed it. When something becomes a sacred cow, you better really cr- critically evaluate. I mean, you better really pay close attention to what we're doing. I mean, it's a nearly $1 trillion line item in our budget. And we're taking people at their word. 
I mean, we're, we're, we've created and built the best fighting machine in the history of mankind. So we must spend $830 billion. Can we create the best fighting machine in the history of mankind and spend $200 billion less? I think we can. Based on what? My evaluations of government. I mean, I've always believed that government takes about 20% more to do what, uh, you know, it should be able to accomplish with 20% less. That's just kind of where we are. But, but Kathleen Hicks is reflective, in my humble opinion, of the attitude within the, the high-ranking officials of our government. How dare you question whether we need the money or not? How dare you question whether we're doing our job or not? No, you better question these people. Blind faith in your leaders will get you killed. I promise. Let's go to the phone, then we'll take a break. Baron in Hartsville. Good morning. Hey, good morning, y'all. I think this is a very important question, but I think it's one that has to be divorced from the existential crisis or, I mean, not crisis, existential challenge that is the rise of China. And I think when it comes to waste, fraud, and abuse, and when it comes to the inner workings of the Department of Defense and the federal government as a whole, it, a valid question is, are they efficiently expending the money that is given to them? But when you throw the $800 billion figure out and you look at it as a percentage of total GDP, it actually is a lower defense expenditure than we had both at the end of the Cold War and the Reagan era and certainly less than it was during the 1950s, 1960s heyday of the international competition with the Soviets. What we've entered is an era of great power competition that we truly don't understand. We haven't been alive to understand the pre-1914 world. We've got multiple powers. When it comes to the Chinese, there are two factors you have to think about when, about Chinese military expenditure. Yeah, their official number is lower, but nobody should believe that official number. And the other answer is purchasing power parity, the ability of them to expend and what they get for their money, their bang for their buck. We spend $100 billion and get one thing. They'll spend $100 billion and get six. That's labor costs, that's benefits, that's macroeconomics. So if you watch the things, a lot of things have come out. There's a 60 Minutes interview a few weeks ago that had the chief of naval operations and the commander of the Pacific Fleet on it. They went really candid and were very good about Chinese capability in the Pacific and the rise, and the fact that we've entered this decade of concern where we've been spending so much of our money on systems that are designed for the war on terrorism, or we've been having, we, we're so spread around the world, that coming on the back of the peace dividend we took after the end of the Soviet Union, we saw our Navy fall below 300 ships, while the Chinese went above it. And when it comes to principal combatants, the Chinese are the largest navy in the world. So China is effectively using that money. Now, this decade that we have right now is the period of time which they're probably the closest and most threat to us. We know that by, they want to reunify China and Taiwan, and we know that they've tied it to the fact that they view it as the end of this century of humili humiliation, starting from around the first opium war. They see us as the global hegemon, and we're the guy they need to knock off if they're going to restore their place. For 3,000 years, China was the pinnacle of human civilization, right? They, 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 Baron, hold on a second. got to take a break. We'll come back and let you conclude. This is very interesting, but we got to pay some bills, and I don't want to get too – you ready? Jammed up. Back in a minute. <laughs> Welcome back, 843-661-0937. Someone's on the phone. Let's be as generous as we can with there. I think they held on to the hard break, and I'm sorry to make them wait, but – Hard breaks are hard breaks. Let's go to the phone. It's Larry in the PD. Good morning. 
Good morning. It's all good, Ken. I'm on the road this morning. So um, I wanted to touch on the the DOD audit. And I think what it, the problem is is that there's an open secret about the Department of Defense, which is when they order a 100, you know, jet fighters from McDonnell Douglas, they only get 90 of them. And the reason is because they need the money that they were going to spend on the other 10 to shut that somewhere that's super secret. And if you look at these leaks that are coming out right now, that's pure justification for why you would do it that way. Because if you'd have just wrote down on paper, we're sending $10 million to this counterterrorism unit in the middle of such and such a country and put that in your, in your, in your financial accounting, then the whole world, as soon as it gets leaked, like this stuff just got leaked, then the whole world would know. And so I don't know. I, I, I kind of side with the woman. Now, I don't think she understands why she's saying what she's saying. But I don't think you could ever properly audit the DOD as we do it now. You almost have to just have a, a, a line item that says black operations. And there's got to be black ops budgeted. And there's got to be a small handful of people that know about it. And there needs to be a select group of people in Congress that oversee it. And that's that. Because the way we do it now to pretend that that's not going on, and all of America knows it is, it does open it up for corruption because we don't say, well, how much money did we allocate to black operations last year? How much did they spend? We don't know. Right? I mean, we've all seen the movies, hey, y'all don't work here, and if you get caught, we're going to deny we ever knew you. Well, how do you think they, where do you think that money comes from? They don't have a we don't ever knew you line on the budget. It's they paid for 10 planes they never got. And that's how they fund that stuff. And I don't think you can ever change that because as bad as the leaks keep getting, and they're only going to get worse because Americans are dummies anymore. And we think, oh, the world needs to know how awful we are. We're, we're spending money on planes that we're not getting. Yeah, so that we can spy on people in Afghanistan, you know. So it's, it's a tough, I don't think there's an easy solution but I think we, the DOD just needs to come clean with America like this. Hey, we spend 20% of our budget on stuff we're never going to tell you about. But we'll tell these five people. And then you got to trust that they are overseeing us. And you got to believe them when they say that it's going where it's supposed to go. But the problem is we don't live in that America. We don't, there ain't five people in America I trust, and some of them have my last name. So what are we going to do? Well said. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate that. Well, let me, okay, let's take Larry's logic because that is a reasonable place to land. That is a very, very reasonable place to land. There are um, special operations within the DOD that you nor I know about, nor should we know about it. I mean, we have no business knowing that. But, but let's look at this. This is my concern. And I'm not saying it's inconsistent with what Larry said because I am very believing in what Larry just said that there are things we'll never know about that we the people are paying for in the name of national defense and our safety and security. But but if we're spending, I mean, hypothetically, let's say we're spending $850 billion. I mean, that's pretty close to this year's um, DOD line item. So so the Department of Defense gets $850 billion. Let's say $100 billion of that is in some sort of experimental weaponry. I mean, we're, we're developing weapons that, that you, the public, they, the Chinese, they, the Russians, uh, they, the North Koreans, don't need to know anything about. 
How many people believe that? Raise your hand. I mean, everybody's raising their hand. Now, we all believe that there are operations within the DOD that we don't know about, nor should we know about. How much? Don't have any idea. I'm using $100 million just off the top of my head. But, but if we're spending $850 billion to be the world's police, to basically uh, promote democracy, and when there are dictatorships that need to be overthrown, we look at our record. I mean, what is our record in military confrontation since Vietnam? I mean, if we're spending more than anybody ever has on defense, and we're, we're also investing in, you know, special operations or black operations of which nobody knows. In other words, um, we, we, we know we have some pretty cool ways to kill people, but we think we've even got more cooler ways that they hadn't told us about, but we'll find out in our next endeavor, our, me, our next conquest, so to speak. And I understand the politics of war. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, but, but look, how has America fared with the most powerful military in the history of mankind? With, with the secret spending that we all agree is happening, how have we fared uh, in Vietnam? How did we fare in Iraq? How did we fare in Afghanistan? How eventually will we fare in, in Ukraine? The, the, there are inconsistencies there that I think the American taxpayer deserves answers to. It is national security. It's not funding Medicare. It's not funding Social Security. But it's a trillion dollars or thereabout of taxpayer dollars and we just, I mean, we just trust us. We've got this. No, nothing to see here. And, and that's the attitude of this female. And I'm not saying it because she's a female. She's a female. I mean, I'm still one of these gender old-fashioned guys who believes there's a man and a woman. A woman named Kathleen Hicks was interviewed by John Stewart and basically said, you know, you just got to trust us. We're not in the waste, fraud, and abuse business. Now, and I don't think, see, it seems to me in America today, and maybe I'm um, a little, little bit uh, defensive about this, it seems to me that if you say one thing, you can't, it's almost like you disagree with everything on the other side. I believe the DOD does a great job of developing weaponry. I think we've proven that over the long haul. But, but can't we believe that and still expect a better performance than we've gotten I mean, it, so if the body politic can't correct consistent foreign policy on what we do and don't do, then why do, why invest a trillion dollars a year in, in a fighting machine? I mean, we're sending military armaments to Ukraine, right? But we're not sending other military armaments because we don't want to be but so involved in that. Now, that, that's the human component. That's the, the body politic. That's some hawks and some doves and some interventionists and some non-interventionists trying to say grace over whether we should do X, Y, or Z. But if we're going to spend a trillion, forget China for a second. I mean, Rev knows this. I have talked for several years about the rise of China you have. and the decline of America. I mean, there's an ascending nation on this planet today, and it's not the good old U.S. of A. I mean, I am very comfortable and patriotic in saying that. I think the most patriotic thing I can say on the radio this morning is America is in descent. China is on the ascend. I mean, the, the trajectories of these two countries are very uniquely different today. And I do believe that China senses uh, blood in the water. And, and, I, and I think China senses that, that we have insurmountable issues. And I'm talking about federal debt, our incapabilities uh, in of governing, governing ourselves. I'm not a foreign policy diplomat. 
I'm, I'm not in the DOD. I'm not in. Um, I'm not a, on a think tank in Washington considering what to do with Israel or what to do with Iraq and Iran or what to do in foreign policy related matters. Um, but but it's pretty obvious that as we speak today, there are two ships passing in the night. One is in decline. One is on the ascend. Now, now you know the. I think Barron said earlier you can't trust the Chinese in any of their data. But fair enough. Do you trust the American data? I mean, do we really? I mean, do you trust uh, do you trust Beijing a lot less than you trust our nation's capital? I mean, I'm asking that as a serious question. Uh, I was told all my life, don't you trust Moscow? Don't you trust Beijing? Well, I wasn't told that all my life. That's kind of a recent phenomenon in some of these trade wars and and you know the um. I mean, you can read some of the Chinese culture. I mean, there's an ambition. There's an ambition that permeates their society and culture. Uh, they want to be number one. We're number one. They're doing things in their country. Remember Ray Dalio a couple of weeks back talking about education, manufacturing, economic performance, um, the competency of investing in the military, that the executing of you know competent policy and governing itself. Now, now I think it's unfair. And I don't think this is contradictory to what I just said. I think it's unfair to, ch- to compare China to America. Uh, I'd say it for humor's sake, but America's a big-ass, complicated nation. A big-ass, complicated nation is going to be hard to govern. It simply is. Let, let's do this. Let's go to John Stewart. And um, and we played this toward the end of the show yesterday. I want to play it again this morning. Uh, Rev's got to be on alert uh, <laughs> for a particular word, but he'll do just fine. Let's go there. These are unfair questions of, of somebody within a department of that size and scope. I Did think you feel that, you, I that think it's, you're, that it's I think unfair. you have an, a particular thing you really want to talk about and you're asking me other questions, but I don't think it's unfair to ask me about the audit. It's absolutely the case that the United right. States military should be able to pass an audit, and we've got to be on that pathway to get there. But don't you think that that does speak to the larger point that we're trying to get at, which is good journalism uncovers corruption? And okay, that, I mean, good journalism doesn't cover corruption, yeah. but I'm not sure these two things are linked. An audit oh, is not. Oh, but they are. Okay, so you need to explain to me, do you understand what an audit does and the degree to which it is linked to the question that you're asking? I believe so. Okay, go ahead. Give me your explanation. No, I don't mind learning. So <laughs> what I would suggest is that uh, the audit that they have in, in the military doesn't really look at um, whether or not there's efficacy, it's just whether they got delivered the thing that they ordered. And that is, ge- that is any audit. That is any audit. That is true. But generally, those audits aren't $400 billion for Raytheon and $1.7 trillion for a plane that doesn't seem to be doing. Like, there is a lot of waste, fraud, and abuse within a system. Audits and waste, is. fraud, and abuse are not the same thing. So let's uh, decompose then these things. Please educate for a me on, on sure. what Sure. So the, an audit is exactly what you just described, yes. which is do I know what was delivered to which place? Right. The ability to pass an audit or in a, the fact that the DOD has not passed an audit is not suggestive of waste, fraud, and abuse. That is completely false right there. So so what is now it is a question of? of it's suggestive that we can't we don't have an accurate inventory that we can pull up of what we have where. That is not the same as saying we can't do that because waste, fraud, and abuse has occurred. So, in my world, yeah, that's waste. How is that waste? 
if I give you a billion dollars and you can't tell me what happened to it, that to me is wasteful. That, that means you well, are not responsible. <laughs> but if you can't tell me where it went, then what am I supposed to think? And when there has been reporting, I mean, this is not, look, I'm not, I'm not saying this is on you and that you caused this, but I think it's, it's a tough argument to I'm make sure that an, an $850 billion budget to an organization that can't pass an audit and tell you where that money went, like, I think most people would consider that somewhere in the realm of waste, fraud, or abuse because they would wonder why that money isn't well accounted for. And especially when they see food insecurity on military bases, and they see- Do you wanna talk about that? Because that's a good, we should be talking. I mean, well, I'm trying all, to understand is, where, where, where you're trying to go other than the dollars, which really well, bother you. <laughs> I think it doesn't really bother me. I think it's all connected. Okay, I think tell, when me, I tell look, me that story. Tell, tell me how you're thinking well, about that. Well, when I see uh, a State Department get uh, a certain amount of money and a military budget be 10 times that, and I see a struggle within government to get people like more basic services, and then that uh, department that got that, I mean, we got out of 20 years of war and the Pentagon got a $50 billion raise. Like, that's shocking to me. Now, I may not understand exactly the ins and outs and, yeah. and the incredible uh, magic of an audit, <laughs> but I'm a human being who lives on the earth and can't figure out how $850 billion to a department means that the rank and file still have to be on food stamps. Like, to me, that's fucked. I'm sorry. And if, like, if that blows your mind, and if you think, like, that's, like, a crazy agenda for me to have, I really think that that's institutional thinking and that it's not looking at the day-to-day -day reality of the people that you call the greatest fighting force in the world. So I just, again, I get back to this idea of like, I'm not looking to pick a fight with you, but I am surprised at that the reaction to these questions are, you don't know what an audit is, bucko. Like, <laughs> that's just weird to me. Okay. On uh, food insecurity, uh, major priority for us, a lot of funds are going toward that. The biggest issues we have found, uh, first of all, we have significantly increased funding on, on food insecurity. Um, and we do think we are getting much better on that. Um, we believe some of the challenges we face are not what you, uh, you know, often think of as, you know, food insecurity as hunger. They're really around uh, do we have food available? For instance, as people come on and off shifts, mm -hmm. is it healthy food? Um, those are the types of food insecurity issues we are seeing in and around our military installations. We have increased pay two times in a row here. We've done 4.6% pay raise last year. We've asked for a 5.2% pay raise this year. We've also increased basic um, allowances and increased housing uh, and pay uh, uh, and other allowances. So overall, we definitely think we need to increase the spending that we are putting forward toward our service members and their families. We're putting our money where our mouth is. Another big area is childcare. Mm -hmm. Spending a lot more money on childcare. That includes both childcare facilities and it includes um, uh, uh, a benefit that allows folks to go out on the economy to get childcare and have that subsidized by the government. Mm -hmm. Those are all examples of ways we're trying to put money forward for our service members and their families. I think it's, it's interesting, I mean, she, how comfortable she is talking about 
food insecurity and some of the things they're doing for the enlisted men and women of the U.S. Armed Services and how resistant she was to going down the road of waste, fraud, and abuse. Now, now you guys can believe that her reluctance is because there are these special programs within and she can't divulge the details and specifics. I'll buy some of that. But but I think her, her answer was revealing to me because when when she got to talk about we're spending more money, I mean, it, it, it's a bureaucrat. I mean, it's just it's somebody who's been in government and uh, doesn't understand. I mean, they, they believe that money's the answer to all problems. If we're underperforming here, it obviously can't be our fault. I mean, it can't be the men and women of this government agency. I mean, they're dedicated. They're working tirelessly. I mean, they're doing everything imaginable to make sure that this government agency succeeds. No, it's got to be the taxpayer not giving them enough funds to to operate and manage the affairs of whatever they're responsible for. And that was her. I mean, that was her safe space. I mean, that was her go-to place. She she was unbelievably comfortable when it became. We're spending more money on this. We're spending more money on that. We can't pass an audit, but we're convinced the problem with food insecurity is we didn't spend enough money. The problem with, um, you know, people coming off bases or on, we weren't spending enough, we're spending more money on child care. What we're doing, all these wonderful things. That is the mindset of a, of a bureaucrat. And that's who she is. So, so you can believe that she's not bureaucratic, but rather coy and, and doing her job to, to, to not disclose things that, that the public doesn't need to know. In the first part of the interview, when she, when she appears to be a little bit condescending, to John Stewart, I mean, very condescending to John Stewart uh, because he even implied bucko. You know, you don't know what an audit is, bucko. Um, and then how liberated she sound when it was about, you know, we need more money. We're not getting enough more. That is the mindset of a bureaucrat. I mean, it's a pre-programming almost that happens somewhere down the road of becoming a government employee. And I think she's probably a fine and decent lady. I think she probably, as I like to say, she – um. She, she, she loves the Lord as much as I do, loves her family as much as I do, um, is as devoted to making the world a better place as I am. But, but the mindset of a bureaucrat was on full display as far as I'm concerned. I'm not going to talk about the audit, you peasant you, but I will talk about food insecurity and daycare, and the answers are obvious. We need more money. I mean, we got to have more money. Well, where does the money come from? From us buckos, 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in a few. I thought that was Jesse Waters. I don't want to be ripping off Jesse Waters, right? Just borrowing. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't want to borrow from Jesse Waters, okay? Okay? <laughs> let's, okay. Let, let's go to the phone. See, when it's your world, yeah. I guess you can see. Yeah, it ain't my world. I can assure <laughs> If it were my world, it would look a lot different than it does today. Let's go to the phone. Joe in Florence. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I've been trying to call all week, but I just wanted to say that I don't know who the lady was. I got in my car, turned the radio on. If you can't pass an audit, that means that you are hiding something. I don't care how you look at it. You're not being honest. Just like he said, if I gave you billions of dollars and you cannot tell me what you spent it on or where it is that is fraud and abuse well and th- thank you for the call appreciate it and and i and i'll say this she was uncomfortable talking about that she was very comfortable talking about what they're doing for 
the men and women in the armed services. And uh, I mean, we, we've debated this morning some of the realities, some of the things we know, some of the things uh, that we don't know. But but understand, the DOD has not passed an audit in about 10 years-ish, somewhere thereabout. But it's not a forensic audit. It's not an audit like, um, I mean, when you audit your books and you spend X number of dollars with Office Depot, I'm just making that up. Um, what did you get from Office Depot? You know, did the, the the printer worked, obviously. The the computer worked, obviously. The swivel chair, you know, with wheels on it worked, obviously. Um, and and that's that's an audit. All, all the DOD is doing is, did Raytheon, did Raytheon get paid for 10 jets? And did we accept delivery of 10 jets? Forget the performance provisions. Uh, we're not auditing any of that. Is the jet underperforming? I don't know. Is the jet overperforming? I don't know. Um, did the bombs detonate as we were told they would? Don't know. Um, it would be very interesting for someone who has been in that world to try and explain. Uh, now, if they're still in that world, they're going to give a one-sided explanation. I mean, to, to believe you can get a, um, I'm thinking about the podcast, to believe that I could get the head lobbyist for Raytheon to come on um, no stoplights <laughs> and explain how the military industrial complex works is, is, is like, you know. Um, okay, we'll work yeah. on that. Get, get, ask the chairman of the Gamecock Club to come in and say what fundraising entity for a university's athletic program is the best. Uh, I mean, he ain't saying Texas A&M. I'll assure you of that. So, yeah, so where do you go? That's kind of an interesting question. Where do you go to get the lowdown? If there is, if Eisenhower's right, if there's a military-industrial complex that he gave fair warning about, we didn't heed the warning, and we end up with a billion, excuse me, a trillion-dollar annual outlay, and it's somewhere in the neighborhood of a trillion bucks. I mean, I think it's eight hundred fifty-five or sixty billion dollars, so it's a hundred and forty-ish billion shy of a trillion dollars. I mean, that's the um, I, I did see this this morning. I don't know if you saw this or not, Rev. But in fiscal year, our nation's fiscal year is past the halfway point. And the service to debt went up $90 billion. So the service to debt, we got two tranches of federal debt that will mature in the next 60 days. Once they mature and are refinanced at the much higher percentage, we'll have um, another line item in our budget north of a trillion dollars. And that will be simply the service on debt. So in America today, I mean, we can argue whether we're spending too much to protect our nation or not. We can argue whether we're getting, you know, um, what are enough bang for our buck or not. But we're going to have four line items in our federal budget in excess of a trillion dollars. It will be the DOD. I mean, in the next couple of years, that will exceed a trillion bucks. It will be Medicare funding, Medicaid funding, and interest on debt. I mean, that, that's unfathomable to me. I mean, when I sat in this chair to do a radio show for the first time 11 years ago, I think our federal budget was about $3 trillion. I mean, somewhere in the neighborhood of $3 trillion. And I remember saying, wow, trillion dollars, that's a lot of money. $3 trillion annual budget, we've doubled that. I mean, we're north of $6 trillion now. In fact, interest on debt, DOD spending, and Medicare equal today what the entire federal budget was the first time I sat behind this microphone and attempted to do a radio show. Let's go to the phone. Sam in Cross Hill. Good morning. Uh, good morning, fellas. Uh, Ken, uh, I believe several, a month or so ago, we were on uh, maybe the South Carolina budget 
uh, deal while with that expenditure that was uh, in that we're talking about. But anyway, yeah, that 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 lady was really squirming, and uh, I wish he John could uh, put uh, maybe the uh, Secretary of the Treasury or the Comptroller General of the United States in a chair and ask those the very same questions. Because the bigger problem is not only in DOD, but it is in the whole federal government leviathan. You know, tax day's coming up here, and we're all having to feed the thing a little bit more, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, if you take a look and go in until you do your research, you will find out that they can't even render an, an auditor, uh, can't even render an opinion on the financial statements of the United States government as a whole. But if you mine down into an audit report, the role of the auditor also is to identify con uh, weaknesses in internal controls and all. And it's a very interesting read. So I don't know, uh, the, based on DOD, what you have access to, as far as the as far as the audit and the auditor's report and everything. But it's not only in DOD, but it's scattered all across the federal government. There's waste, fraud, abuse, um, and I think what's happened is the government has gotten so big and there's so much money that it's and, and it's, it's virtually impossible to keep track of everything. So anyway, uh, join the show. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate that. And and look, I mean, I've never seen a DOD audit. I mean, I'm not sure I'd understand how to review a DOD audit. I'm not an accountant. I'm not a lawyer. I mean, I would imagine there's some legal reasons they have to disclose things certain ways. But but historically, Republicans have not questioned, you know, whether military spending is justified or not. And and next thing you know, you end up with a trillion dollars or nearly a trillion bucks. And once again, guys. We're going to be north of a trillion here in the next three or four years. I rest assured. I mean, we're, we're not showing any signs of relenting when it comes to spending money we don't have. And um, and, and I think the DOD deserves criticism. I mean, it, it, it has to I mean, it has to warrant whatever it's asking for. And, and how do you go to Congress? Well, see, it's kind of interesting. Here's another breakdown. The 12 appropriating committees don't meet. I mean, we do CRs and omnibus bills, so we're not meeting to properly vet. I mean, why is, is a is a is a member of Congress advocating his responsibility by not demanding the DOD come before the subcommittee that appropriates and say we can't give you any more money until you pass an audit? I mean, wouldn't that be a responsible thing for a member of Congress to do? I mean, guys, in, in this um in this you know military subcommittee. I mean, are we going to continue to give the, the Department of Defense $850 billion when they can't provide an accurate audit? I mean, it, that, that, that's not neoconservatism. That's not um, hawkish or dovish. That's common sense. Your job is to appropriate. I mean, the Constitution clearly says that the, the, most the most important thing Congress does is legislate. Part of that legislation is a budget. It's required by law, and we don't do it anymore. So they're derelict in their duty that they're not being responsible members of Congress. So, so the somebody from DOD whispers to somebody like Mitch McConnell or Chuck Schumer in a leadership role that here's what's coming down the pike, and we sign off on it. Who knows what we're spending that money on? Who other than people in the DOD know what we're spending that money on? Do we have any idea what that money's being spent on? I mean, does Lindsey Graham have any idea what the Department of Defense is doing with that $850 billion that they get every year? I mean, that's, that's a bizarre scenario. 
I mean, we're in the most prosperous nation in the history of mankind. And we don't budget nearly a trillion dollars that goes to defend our national security. How would a member of Congress find out what they're doing over at DOD? How much are we spending here? I mean, you and I here, Reb, we're spending $130 billion in Ukraine. We can't get an audit there. I mean, we're chastised when we as conservative Republicans say, hey, can somebody tell me what we're doing with that money? Not even supposed to ask. No, we're, we're trusting the Ukrainians. We trusted the Afghans. Right. We, we trusted the Iranians. We, we trust, I mean, it's, it's absurd. I mean, it's absurd what we've allowed to be normalized in our federal government. Let's go to the phone. Barry in Chirag. Good morning. Hey, morning, guys. Ken, can you hear me good? I hear you well. All right, I'm currently in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. So I'm, I'm, uh, I know you are. Hey, I saw Ken, your uh, I saw your Twitter. Post. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ken uh, headed to Aruba today, so uh, nice. Trying to go uh, uh, reset a little bit, but Ken, let, let me tell your audience. You know, because most of them don't work in the government, and I've been in the government for 25 now. So each year, we get told to spend the money in our budget that we get from whatever agency we're in, or we will not get it again next year. I had to tell that to Nick Mulvaney the first time he did a conference call for when he was congressman, and he had no idea. It was like the shock came across the conference call that he didn't realize that you had to spend the money or you, you don't get a, a bonus for, you know, or, or, or a pat on the back for saving the government money. You have to spend it every year, or you do not receive it, that same fund, the next year. That's the problem. Every agency, every department in the United States government gets told the same thing. You either spend the money, or you do not get it next year. That's what's been happening since I've been in, 25 years. So that's the problem. And another problem with the United States government, since I'm on vacation and I can tell everybody, if, if you mess up, you move up. And you've been saying it for years. Nobody gets fired in the federal government. So if you mess up, you move up. So if you get a DUI, you're, you're getting promoted. So if, if you get two of them, you're probably getting a, another promotion because they're going to hide you. They're going to get you out of the agency or, or – spot you're in and they're going to move you to a different spot where you can't go down in the federal government because they don't demote people. So I can go on this rant, but I'm on vacation. I'm really enjoying this radio show since my family decides to sleep at like nine or 10 o'clock every day. And I get up at five. So I'm walking around the boat, uh, listening to y'all. Y'all have a great day. Thank you, my man. That, that's a dedicated wow. listener that we no, really, really, really no appreciate. Wow. I, 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 we, we follow one another on Twitter, and I saw yesterday that he was off to to Aruba. But being the true patriotic conservative he is, uh, gets up early in the morning, turns on a conservative radio show, and tries to make heads or, or tails of what we're discussing and what we're talking about. And he calls in. Well, and I, and I want to say, and I want to say this, guys, and nice. this is where I think we, we we've got to. I don't know how we get there, but we got to get to a place of understanding that some of these big issues are not partisan. I mean, the DOD is not a Democratic agency. It's not a Republican agency. The majority of us have been coached into any problem in government. It's one party or the other's fault. Spending, you ready? Spending is different. 
We do argue about abortion. We argue about marriage. We argue about transgenderism. We argue about a lot of things that are a part of our culture. And politics runs downhill of culture. So they do eventually become political matters. We've got a judiciary that addresses certain things in certain ways. But, but guys, in, in life, I mean, think about your personal life, your business life. Um, government can't escape the financial realities forever. You can't escape them for a second. I mean, if you spend more than you have, I mean, you get your, you get your neck in a bind. I mean, you do, we, we all, I mean, I, I say we all, I've done it. I mean, I, I'll readily admit that at times I'm financially irresponsible. It's normally in my business life. I roll the dice. I think something's going to work. It doesn't. I have to have lunch with my banker and try to help him help me understand what's the best resolution. Where do we go from here? That's the life of business. I mean, in, in my adult life, there have been a handful of times that I laid in the bed and looked at the ceiling, knowing I had to meet with my banker tomorrow because this isn't going to end well. I mean, we made a decision in our business world to do X, and we should have done Y. So, so we, but, but reality finds us in a nanosecond in your, in your personal life. I mean, you've got, a, you've got a budget. Some budgets are bigger than others. Some people make more money than others. But the federal government has convinced itself that, that, that it can avoid reality and some consequence to their irresponsibility forever. And, and we always said, guys, there will be a moment. I don't know when it is. I think we're getting ever closer to the day it doesn't work anymore. Remember the thing? I mean, you know, it works till it doesn't work no more. Well, I mean, I think we're getting pretty close till it works till it doesn't work no more. But we've got a lady responsible for answering to the American public about the DOD spending, and, and she treats John Stewart as if he's some, you know, uh, just a moron. I mean, how dare you ask me about these things? How dare you ask me about those things? And I believe that our debt will eventually be our demise. I've been consistent in that. And I think we're beginning to see, and I think I've said for years, the Rev's asked, so, so what is the early indication? I mean, if you're coughing up blood, you better go to the doctor. So, so, so what is coughing up blood? It's the day energy trades begin being transacted in something other than the dollar. And that is not common yet, but it's very... I mean, we're heading that way. I mean, we're heading to a place before the end of this year where some of the BRIC, na BRIC nations, Brazil, uh, Russia, India, China, I mean, some of those nations will start executing energy trades in something other than the dollar. That is one of the most terrible moments in American history when that happens, and that's when I predict some of the unraveling begins to accelerate and we begin to face our financial reality despite what Congress says, despite what some Kathleen Hicks, deputy director of DOD says, one plus one equals two and will until the end of time. And I think we've avoided some of the consequence of irresponsible, irresponsible spending. And we're to a point now that we can't avoid it forever. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. The theme of the first two hours of today's show has been, as far as I'm concerned, there is a consensus with Democrats and Republicans to spend money they don't have. Now, now we can debate, and I think it's so interesting that the Republicans are, are far more curious about the, the lack of auditing the DOD than the Democrats are. And it really goes back to this America First agenda. It's, uh, it's kind of an anti-intervention, it's anti-globalist 
um, sentiment. Who gets rich if we aren't fighting wars? Who gets rich if we aren't cutting a bunch of foreign um, trade deals? I want to kind of stay in that lane for a second, but I want to make sure. I mean, I, we've always prided ourselves on making the communities we broadcast in more aware of things that matter. Um, I had this handed to me yesterday. I want to make sure that I promote um, this. Uh, if you're someone out there who has ever thought of being uh, an adoptive or foster parent, um, there are a lot of steps you got to go through. There are a lot of information you got to get your hands on, whether it's domestic or international adoption. Um, there's a there's a group called the Jade Bridge, and they offer training and support to those who are considering becoming an, an, an adoptive or foster parent. They're having an event at Hoffmeyer Baptist Church or Hoffmeyer Road Baptist Church, Thursday, April 20th, Thursday, April 20th, 6.30 to 8.30. If you are interested in how to better equip yourself to become a foster or adoptive parent, put that time on your calendar. Thursday, April 20th, 6.30 to 8.30, Hoffmeyer Road, um, Baptist Church. I, I would imagine there are some ways you can follow up. Um, go to the Jade Bridge, excuse me, yeah, www.thejade, J A D E Bridge, B R I D G E dot org. Pronounced or spelled like it's pronounced, the Jade Bridge dot org is the best way to go find out more information. But I mean, there are a lot of folks out there interested in being a foster parent interested in being a, an adoptive parent and you don't just show up one day and say, Hey, where's my baby? I mean, I can assure, where's my kid? I can assure you of that. There are a lot of necessary steps, um, that are required. This, um, this meeting is, um, is to better inform you on how to equip yourself to be an adoptive or, or foster parent. 843-661-0937 had an interesting text a second ago from a listener and sponsor who said, that we should do a podcast of caller versus caller. In other words, I mean, her example was Daphne versus Jeff in this corner, you know, weighing whatever she weighs in this corner, weighing whatever he weighs fully equipped with a, uh, a belief that their way of seeing the world is the right way is Daphne and Jeff. And then somebody else versus versus somebody else. Um, you know, John Stewart, I think is doing media a service. And when you kind of dig a little deeper and you say, why is a non-journalist doing the affairs of journalism? Yeah, Because you listed his credits and credentials earlier today when it's we John were talking Prime. about it, but he's John Prime. Well, he's comedian, you know, he's a, he was, had a TV show, but nowhere in that list is journalist. But, but I think, okay, I got a theory. John Stewart, by his very nature, is probably curious. I mean, I can relate to this. I mean, the busy head syndrome. I mean, one of the characteristics of someone with a busy head syndrome is to be curious. I'm very curious about the world around me. So I inquire about certain things. Now, my wife's bothered by that on a Saturday at the beach. You know, when someone starts a conversation, next thing you know, uh, she's always said, we'll end up eating dinner with them tonight, you know, and some, <laughs> but, but I'm inquiring. I mean, I want to know more. So. Stewart's going to naturally ask questions, not in a gotcha kind of way, but he's curious. How can we spend a trillion dollars a year of taxpayer dollars 
and you folks not be demanded to provide an audit. I mean, how do we get there? I mean, imagine that, Rev. I mean, we're talking about are we in decline or not. I mean, we're a nation that spends a trillion, and I'm, I'm rounding off, I mean, $850 billion. Let's be, let's be fair and accurate. So we're spending $850 billion a year. I mean, a trillion seconds ago, there was no Jesus Christ. I mean, we just celebrated Easter. So a trillion seconds ago was 30, some odd 36,000 years, 32, it's over 30,000. I don't have the, the number in front 32, of me. 32,000 32,000 years ago. So we're spending. And that's one trillion That's one trillion. Ago. So the defense budget is basically a trillion bucks. So we're going to grant authority to a government agency to spend a trillion dollars a year without providing any sort of audit, without any sort of appropriating process, without any sort of oversight, without any sort of questions being asked about, I mean, John Stewart's the guy doing this? Really? I mean, why in the hell's not the, the subcommittee responsible for setting the DOD's budget asking those questions? So if you're a curious man, I am, Stewart is, then you want to know the answer to that. Now, obviously, that's not Stewart's job. It's not my job. It really and truly is not journalism's job. It's the job of Congress. I mean, they're tasked with the responsibility of appropriating, and they've abdicated that responsibility. And you would like to see, see, the, the journalistic story shouldn't be the DOD failing an audit. The journalistic story should be how is the DOD allowed to continually to get $850 billion annually but while nobody provides oversight. Now, I don't deny anything Larry said. I don't deny anything Barron said. I think there are very serious geopolitical aspects of this debate, that there's no question about it. Should we know everything the DOD does? Should we know everything Raytheon is doing in partnership with the DOD? Everything that Honeywell is doing in partner? No, of course we shouldn't. I mean, there should be some proprietary information there. There should be many, many non-disclosures. Or hush monies. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, you just see where I'm headed. Right. I mean, I'm all about that. I mean, if you call it special operations or this part of the budget, we're not going to let you know. You can be aggravated, angry, frustrated, vote us out of office, but we're not going to tell you what we do with $150 billion of this money. I mean, it's research and development. It's to figure out a better way to provide security and safety or safety to the American. I'm, I'm for that. I get that. I, I'm, I'm 100% on board with that. But, but don't we deserve some accounting? I mean, we the people provide the the money to create the largest military in the history of mankind. But but for a long time, and I still believe it goes back. I believe that a lot of these micros you can trace back to the macro, and I still believe the macro is neoconservatism has gotten to pass, and we bought into this American imperialism, and you know America has the right to to um to put the chess pieces where they choose to put the chess pieces, and the world has to oblige. The world has to kind of fall in line because, once again, we won the Second World War. Uh, Nazi Germany failed. Um, Europe was in disarray. America came to the rescue. Um, we're the biggest, baddest bully on the block, if we choose to be. At times, we choose to be a bully. At times, we choose not to be. But we have the capacity to be the biggest, baddest bully on the block. And I think that mindset became uh, almost a, a, a normalized permanency. I mean, it, it's, it can't be any other way. I mean, what do you mean? I mean, there, there are these crazy guys on the radio saying that America's in decline and we could eventually end up in a, in a Chinese century. I mean, is that bizarre? And, and I do believe some of the macros go back to our irresponsible governance, our inability to demonstrate competency at the federal level 
to the point of allowing a government agency to have $850 billion a year go its way without providing any sort uh, of accounting of where the money goes. I mean, how can that be? How can a member of Congress not be challenged on any media outlet? Um, in other words, the, the most hawkish or the most dovish. I mean, it would be Rand Paul's got a lot more runway on that question than Lindsey Graham does, right? I mean, Paul believes, I mean, Rand Paul's consistently believed that we spend too much money on this um, on this war party, this war machine. And um, I think it was interesting, Will folks, on our podcast a couple of weeks back, Will referred to the Republican Party as the war party. And he said, you know, what the, what the party's dealing with today is those America firsters who are disenchanted with the war party and, you know, the, um, the neoconservative movement that has been so dominant within the, um, the, the voting proclivities of the, uh, the conservative movement in America. And when you read the National Review, can't read the Weekly Standard anymore, it's gone out of business, but when you read the National Review, it's still, I mean, it's still clapping its hands and cheering on, you know, the, um, the, the, the mindset of intervention, um, Ukraine and Afghanistan and Iraq and, and I guess Finland now, now that Finland has become a member of NATO, and it's got, what, an 800-mile border that it shares with Russia. Uh, nobody can see trouble coming there, can they? No, of course not. I mean, not the smart diplomats in charge of foreign policy at the at the federal level. No. I mean, Putin would embrace that. I mean, he's pissed off as can be about Ukraine. And we're going to endorse Finland as a member of the UN. And I'll tell you, if you want to go down the warped way of thinking, is to promote war, is to provoke a response on behalf of the military-industrial complex. Do, do I believe that to a certain degree? Absolutely I do. So do I believe that Raytheon was having fundraisers for certain members of Congress so certain members of Congress would encourage Finland to seek NATO membership and then the body that decides whether to, to allow you to be a member or not? Do I believe that's the way the game is played? Absolutely. I believe that's the way the game is played. So we've got a, a, a NATO nation now, a recent member of NATO. I don't think they've been declared a member yet. They've been accepted as a member. I guess there's a formal ceremony at some point in time. They share uh, um, a multiple hundred-mile border with the former Soviet Union, and we're going to be surprised if some sort of military activity ensues. Really? I think we expect military activity to um to happen. I think we invite it. I think we want it. I think there's more money to be made off war than there is anything else in the government. Let's go to the phone. Joe in Hartsville. Hey, you're on the air. Yeah, good morning, guys. Uh, being in the military and the, the complex, there's a pipeline. And that pipeline runs probably 15 years. I remember back in 81, 82, 83, you know, the, the stealth fighter came out during the Iraq uh, desert storm, desert shield, and the Abrams M1 and A1 tank came out around that same time. Well, we picked up off the desert floor probably – one or two uh, of the 117 uh, stealth fighters and probably one of the B-2 
bombers, and we were testing the M1A1 Abrams tank in AB2 and AB3 on the ranges, which all that's unclassified now, but we had to sign NDAs back then not to be able to talk about it because, you know, it was all uh, classified. But there's such a pipeline that, you know, all of our future, these people deal, I mean, 10, 15 years before a weapon system comes out, they're developing it. One of the biggest wastes that I had to fight with was the OSHA, you know, the safety guys. Instead of being able to go to Ace Hardware and buy a hammer for like nine ninety five or nineteen ninety five, they put out a bid and always the lowest bidder got it, but they put the specs on it so high that they had to do a lot of R and D. Now you spend say five hundred thousand dollars on R and D on a on a hammer and then you win the contract and Uncle Sam says, Okay, I need ten thousand of them. Well guess what? That hammer is going to cost you $450 a piece. So the, the specs they put on them is what makes the cost so high. Because I, I remember they they did a contract on a coffee pot in a C5A that had to withstand a crash. Now, who in his right mind would go in a C5A that crashed and get a coffee pot out of it? But after the R&D, those coffee pots were about 1500 bucks a piece. So a lot of that is all self-inflicted. But there, there is a pipeline. And the next generation, you won't even hear about the next generation of weapons for 10 to 12 years down the line. So I'm not defending it. I'm just trying to give some insight on how the pipeline works. Y'all have a good one. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I, it, to me, I mean, it, it's none of us believe the government responsibly spends money. Uh, there's probably some sympathetic liberal out there that does believe that. But you can't convince me that, that someone in their heart of hearts believes that government on, and I'm talking about the federal government. I mean, the state government, county government, city government, I mean, they're different animals. They have balanced budget amendments. There, there's a limited amount of revenue. They've got to be a little more attentive to some of the, um, I mean, it's a little more real world accounting, but at the federal level, I mean, it, it, nobody with, 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 a, with an IQ over 90 believes the government responsibly spends our money, but, but should we accept that as normal? I mean, that's the point I'm making. And, and, you know, you wake up one day, hypothetically $33 trillion in debt. I mean, I know a nation would never allow itself to get that deep in debt. We're, we're smart enough to address it before. It gets to that um, uh-huh. state or stage, but, you know, <laughs> hypothetically in a movie, I mean, if Hollywood were to make a movie about one of the great powers in the history of mankind and its precipitous decline, and they wanted to include uh, as a, as a feature or factor of cinematic genius, if they wanted to consider, you know, debt being a priority driver of it, you know, being a nation devastated by its debt. Um, I mean, you know, you, you could, you could, you could see a way Hollywood could come up with the scenario that a nation's $33 trillion mm-hmm. in debt. I mean, in, 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 in real-world terms, we know that would never I'd like to happen. see how Hollywood would write the end of well, that I mean, story. But, 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 well, I mean, I, I think we're going to live it. 
Mm. I mean, I don't think we'll wait on Hollywood to write that story. You and I will probably, I mean, we'll be old and senile like Biden. We won't much give a damn. But, um, you know, our kids will say, what were you thinking, Dad? You know, And our grandkids will say, you know, push him off the bridge. I mean, if he was crazy enough uh, to be a part of that. And there's this, I mean, they, uh, there's always generational conflict. I mean, Jim calls in and talks about this generation, you know, juxtaposed to that generation. There, there's always going to be that. And, and I'm not arguing for a, a cut to budget of the DOD. I mean, I don't know what I'm arguing, but, but I'm arguing we spend an enormous amount of money and the American public honestly don't know what they're spending it on. And, and it lacks accountability. Could there be $200 billion of the $850 billion that you and I don't deserve to know? Of course. Absolutely there could. I mean, if you don't think the government's good at hiding things, I mean, rest assured, if they don't want us to know, um, they won't know. But how does Congress, and I guess in my reading last night, and I listened to Stewart again, and I listened to Kathleen Hicks, a deputy secretary at DOD, I mean, you're getting real frustrated. But, but ultimately, Congress works for you. You don't elect the deputy secretary at DOD. You don't elect the, the secretary of defense. You don't elect uh, the joint chiefs. I mean, th- th- those are appointed positions by elected officials, but our elected officials have been derelict in their responsibilities of budgeting. And, and that's how we end up where we end up. Somebody from DOD should sit before a committee and defend $850 billion in appropriations. Somebody from Congress should be willing to prepare themselves to ask questions that the American taxpayer deserved to have answers to. And, and that has nothing to do with hawkish or dovish or Rand Paul or, or Lindsey Graham or Ukraine or Iraq or Af- Afghanistan or Vietnam. I mean, that, that's, a, that, that's, that's what self-governance requires. I mean, if we're going to take this, once again, big-ass complicated nation and police it by self-government and, and manage our affairs by self-government, it requires a competency. It requires a commitment. It requires a, um, a, 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 a kind of an honor system in the weirdest way imaginable. I'm voting for Lindsey Graham to go to Washington and transact our nation's business on my behalf, not Raytheon's behalf, not, not Honeywell's behalf, not McDonnell Douglas's behalf, not the healthcare sector's behalf, not higher education. He owes it to me. And that's where we've really got to ride. That's where we've really um, kind of kind of flip the paradigm. I mean, it's, it's, you know, they don't believe they work for us. And when you hear Kathleen Hicks respond to John Stewart, bucko, you know, how dare you ask me, do you know who I work for? I work for the DOD, not the American public. And we've got to reestablish the, the, the practicality that these people don't work for the Department of Defense. They work for we, the American taxpayer. That's the only way they get paid. That's the only way we provide a national security and national defense. And, you know, when you look at fairly conservative Republicans beginning to question the, the, the methodology of funding, at D, we're, not, we're not questioning whether we need to spend money on national defense. Of course we do. We're not questioning how much money we need to spend. I don't know that I have an idea of how much we should spend. But explain to us where the money we are spending is being spent. Who's getting wealthy? off the American taxpayer that you're ashamed to let be known? I mean, that's probably the better question, and it ain't one or two or three. I mean, it's hundreds of contractors, 
hundreds of lobbyists, hundreds of consultants, hundreds of people making sure. I mean, there are lobbyists in Washington right now at DOD making sure they're funded via continuing resolutions and omnibus bills. Probably a lion's share of those lobbyists are former members of Congress who know we should be going to committees and subcommittees and appropriating in the typical budget fashion. Take a break. Back in a few. Welcome back to Wake Up Carolina, where a former conservative, neo, neoconservative Republican turned pacifist is hosting a four-hour <laughs> radio show in good old red state, <laughs> South Carolina. I just got accused on a text of mine, uh, you're more anti-war than Springsteen. Oh. And, and I have. I've turned into a very anti-war um, sort of Republican. I, I just believe that intervention has not been in our best interest. We've got a track record. It's complicated. I know it's not something you can put on the back of a of a postcard. I accept its complexities. I accept its inexactness. I accept that there are a lot of different opinions from a lot of different experts about a lot of different things. But the bill of goods we've been sold about neoconservatism has simply not come to fruition. Is, is um, America first, is that anti-war? I think it's anti-war. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think it's I mean, not saying war is never necessary. Well, I mean, I think America first, the concept. Now, once again, it means different things to different people. Sure. To me, America first means an empowerment of the American working man and woman, the American family, the American way of life. I mean, you know. But let, as it relates to foreign policy, well, I mean, America uh, first. I'm, I'm getting there. Okay. okay so, so America first. How many senator's sons have died in foreign conflict? I mean, how many working class families have had to send their boys and, and girls off to foreign lands to die and be maimed in war? So, so when I see America first, I don't think it's an anti-war movement, but, but it's, a, it's a proportionality of involvement. That's kind of a weird way to say it. But, but uh, America first to me means if I'm a member of Senate, then I've got to execute policies that promote the well-being of the American worker, the American family the American way of life, uh, Americana in general. Now, now, once again, that means different things to a lot of different people. Um, you think baseball is the national pastime. I think football is. But we agree it's a part of Americana. We're not in different universes. So, so is, is, is going to Afghanistan been good for the American family? No. Good for the American worker? No. Is our policy on immigration been good for the American family? No. Good for the American worker? No. Those are the policy priorities that I would be concentrating on if I were a member of the Senate. And to answer your question, I don't think I'm anti-war. I accept the inevitability of conflict. I understand that when powerful people fight over prized property and possessions, Sometimes you can't resolve it verbally or contractually, and we end up in war, and it's horrible. It's nasty. I wish it never happened, but I'm not. I'm not that naive to believe it won't ever happen again. But but I'm tired of of wealthy and and aristocratic Americans deciding when the next poor kid will die in the next foreign land on whose best interest. Because it's good for the military-industrial complex, because it's good for globalism, because it's good for you know a variety of things other than the well-being and good standing of the American family, the American worker, and the American way of life. Let's go to the phone. Jim and Florence, hey, you're on the air. Hey, good morning, guys. So, Ken, if, if I win the lottery, I'm going to start an advertisement company. So instead of you hearing you know, brought to you by Pfizer, I'm, I'm going to list the current problem of the day. Um, in our society or government, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to 
it's going to end with brought to you by the baby boomer generation. Uh, but, I like this, it. Cri- the, this criticism of the military is incredibly warranted, and it's a great conversation. And I imagine if, if construction contractors started lobbying Congress like Boeing and Lockheed, our, our military barracks might begin to look like college campuses. But, Ken, legitimate question, could the school districts in Florence or Sumter or Darlington or Orangeburg, could they pass a legitimate audit? Hmm. That's an interesting question. The, the only audits I've ever been involved in, Jim, were at the county level. We'd have executive session, and our county government would hire an auditing firm. The auditor would come in, in executive session, and he would address some of the improprieties, some of the things we needed to work on, some of the um, imperfectness. And, and then we'd go out to the public, and, I mean, we'd pass the audit, but we would go line item by line item, and he would challenge us on doing a better job of, of, of documenting and accounting for taxpayer dollars. Thank you, Jim. I thought he was still there. He, he's gone. I mean, that, that's a fair question. That there's no yeah. doubt about it. How detailed an audit or an audit uh, do you provide? Now, I want to go back and push back on Jim a little bit. He pushes on me a touch with the baby boomer. I want to push back a, a little bit. <laughs> Kellyanne Conway um, was on some show yesterday. I don't remember what it was, but she was talking about the the voting turnout machine the Democrats have created. And she basically said. I don't know if anybody can win. You know, the presidency is a Republican unless we address some of these issues where the Democrats have gained um, such an advantage. So I'll, I'll take responsibility as a boomer last year, the boomer. I'll take my share of responsibility on the gluttonous nature of which we've managed this country's affairs. I mean, we've gotten real fat and happy and we've been unbelievably selfish and short-sighted. And, and our responsibilities to the next and next and next generations. I mean, there's no doubt about it. We've been self-absorbed. We have been gluttons. We want stuff. We want more stuff. And we want more stuff. And we're never happy with whatever stuff comes our way. But here's the, the concern I have. So, so guilty as charged, Jim. I've gotten my hand up. I pledge to try and do better. I mean, I talk about these things. I try to shed light on these things. Um, but, but you're right. The baby boomers are good at saying, man, this next generation worries me. But what about the, 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 the damage we've done to the nation that I think may be irreparable? I mean, I really believe that the debt situation, there's no answer. I mean, I, good answer, bad answer, easy answer, hard answer. I, the, the only answer is to stop spending a trillion dollars. Really, stop spending two trillion. The trillion we're spending that we don't have, and, and we need another trillion to apply to the debt to get it paid off in a more reasonable fashion. But in the Kellyanne Conway bit, she was arguing that not only are the Democrats light years ahead of uh, Republicans in these voting turnouts, and I'm talking about, you call it uh, cheating all you'd like, but, you know, uh, private financing of campaigns, unsolicited mail-in ballots, ballot harvesting. I mean, there's a variety of ways the Democrats have created advantages in winning elections. But but Kellyanne Conway also... um, quoted a poll that said non-boomer voters are voting for the Democrat by 28 percentage points. It's about 64-36-ish. Non-boomer voters are voting for Democrats by a 28% margin. So if you don't like the mess we made, I guess you want off the hook for having a hand in trying to fix the mess we made. In other words, let's continue business as usual. 
I'm PO'd with my father and grandfather for their irresponsible spending that left this nation uh, encumbered to debt that it probably will never, ever be able to pay off. But I really don't want to change it because I want everything to be the way it is when I get to be 65 or 6. It's kind of a um, it, it's further evidence that we're all self-preservationist in some weird way. And I'm talking about every every generation except the boomers are voting for Democrats by 28 percentage points. Now, when you get to 18 to 29, I mean, it's 80-20. It's I mean, there, there's a subset of voters, 18 to 29. 20% of Americans 18 to 29 are voting for the Republican Party. That's, an, I mean, that, that's just a staggering percentage to overcome. Mm-hmm. Now, why? Uh, you know, Kellyanne Conway believes some things. I believe other things. I'll give you an example. Why did Bud Light, one of the blue-collar beers of America, one of the iconic brands, the best-selling beer in America. Why did Bud Light believe it made any sense to go hire uh, a transgender advocate, uh, an activist? Uh, you know, they're, they're focusing on these social media influencers. They believe that's a better ad campaign. So if 80% of 18 to 29-year-olds are voting Democrat, then, then 80%, and you need those young people buying your beer, then it's probably not a crazy strategy. Now, if you're running a beer distributorship in Myrtle Beach, you're probably floored by that decision. But when you look at some of the data, and you've heard and I've heard the branding and marketing director for Bud Light, I mean, they've kind of doubled down. You know, that this beer was dying on the vine. Its drinking audience was getting older and older and older. And to attract younger and more diverse drinkers, they had to do something different. It was not college football. It was not NASCAR. It was not uh, the NFL. It was not country music. It was a transgender activist, someone who I believe is mentally ill. I mean, I think Bud Light, as we speak, has a mentally ill person um, practicing in gender dysphoria as they're one of their leading social media influencers. But but if you're trying to attract younger drinkers and you believe you know a more diverse crowd is your future then why wouldn't you do... Now, you don't get it, and I don't get it. And the majority of people listening to my voice believe they've made a grave, grave error, and I've read where they've taken a $4 billion hit to the bottom line. I don't know that. I'm not a shareholder for Anheuser-Busch, not a board member of Anheuser-Busch. I don't have any idea what their financial standing is. But, but you know, Jim likes to throw jabs, and I mean, rightfully so, <laughs> at boomers, and, and, and we deserve it. I mean, I'm, I'm not denying any of that. But, but what are the other generations doing to try and fix it. Well, Jim's doing his share. I don't doubt that. I would never challenge him on, on not accepting his responsibility, but his fellow, um, the, 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 the young men and women of his generation have kind of decided liberal is the way, and that's how they're voting. I mean, they're voting for a liberal, very liberal agenda, a very liberal ideology, a very liberal America that is nothing about retiring debt, nothing about... Um, uh, you know, fiscal sanity, responsibility, nothing about changing the, the, um, the way we fund DOD, nothing. I mean, it's none of that. It's about, you know, Hey, let's keep the gravy train running. But how different is this from history? We talk about younger people typically vote Democrat. And as you get older and mature and experienced in the real world, you tend to, to vote Republican. I think those are the same, but it goes back to what Jeff Gunlock said When, when, when pressed on CNBC, I mean, one of the great investors of the last 30 years when pressed on CNBC about the um, the cycles 
you know, we believe we're seeing an economic downturn. We believe the debt and the raising of interest rates is going to lead to an economic downturn. Soft landing, hard landing, we don't know. But Gunlock says, I don't have a model. I mean, I've got models, and we've been pretty good at, at predicting what is going to happen when economies begin to contract or when economies expand. I mean, we kind of know where to allocate capital. We, we don't have one where we increase the money supply by 40% in two years. I mean, that we are in uncharted territory. And I just think that we bit off more than we can chew. I mean, I really believe, and, and look, a millennial didn't vote on that. A Generation Xer didn't vote on that. The majority of people who voted on that, to, to Jim's point, are boomers. Absolute boomers dominate, dominate the body politic that makes big decisions on America's behalf. Take a break. Back in just a few moments. Hey, as much as I love Springsteen, there's something about warm weather and Jimmy Buffett, right? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I mean, if you, if you love the, um, the lifestyle near the ocean, you got to be a Buffett fan. And, um, and once again, when, when I get in my truck, sometimes my wife will go earlier and I'll follow, drive my truck by myself, got this iTunes uh, family music plan that, um, that my daughter insisted. I mean, it's in my best interest. That's nothing to do with her of course. And, and her standing, but um, she did it for me. You know what I mean? She she put my credit card number on there and everything. I mean, she did it all for me. So we got this family plan, and um and you know I mean I love to listen to the radio, but but I'll, I'll start heading that way and listen to six or eight Buffett songs in a row, and I am so apparently wired. you are enjoying the family. Plan I am on the wired iTunes. for the beach, no doubt about it. Um, I'm paying for it. I might as well enjoy it. Hey, we we are fortunate, and I mean this sincerely. Not just. Not just to have sponsors, but to have partners. And I mean sincerely, it's one thing to have a sponsorship for a show, a sponsorship for a golf tournament, a sponsorship for a NASCAR team. It's another thing to have an invested partnership. And I'm thinking about Richard Petty at STP, you know, CBS and the Masters. I mean, there's just something integral about that. It's deeper than, um, hey, we think you've got an audience and we want to hawk our product, so here's a check for X number of dollars to do your thing. One of the steadfast supporters we've had, I mean, we've had a lot, and those guys have been unbelievably generous to our efforts here, and I want to list them one by one as we progress through this summer and really identify how important they are to what we try and do here in the mornings, engaging a local community on local radio about local, state, and federal uh, federal issues, but but Pepsi has been a sponsor of ours since day one. I still don't understand why, but they are. Um, but they've confused me today, and I, I'm distraught over the confusion. And and, and my senses are. Uh -oh. I mean, normally I have clarity. I'm going this way. <laughs> it may not be the right way, but I'm convinced I need to go this way. Um, they've introduced a new product, and I've 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 hawked you know Celsius, and I've argued. Since we're doing the podcast, I go to the gym two or three days a week immediately following the show. Now, my dad would come out of the grave and get me if he knew I were in a gym at 1030 in the morning. I mean, you need to be building truck beds and working. You know, that, that gym life is playtime. But, but you know, we've got this different routine, and we, um, Rev and I are doing a podcast this afternoon, so I, I got to get my workout in, so I'll, I'll have a little time after the show. Well, this Celsius has helped me power through these workouts, these strenuous workouts, but because I don't work out like, like, like an old man, I'll try to work out like, like young guys and keep up with some, some of the young guys. I need assistance. I ain't taking steroids. So Pepsi introduced a product Celsius, and I'm convinced it is the best energy drink on the market. 
um, until today. I walk in this morning, oh. and Pepsi left us another product, Fast Twitch by Gatorade. I mean, I don't think Pepsi owns Gatorade, but I think there's a marketing and, and distribution arrangement they have with Gatorade. So for those aren't familiar with, with Fast Twitch, it's a Gatorade product. It is, um, Fast Twitch is, I'll give an example. Jadavion Clowney had a higher percentage of Fast Twitch muscle than anybody ever at an NFL combine. Um, Fast Twitch provides... Um, the, the power for these bursts of energies, um, sprinting sprinters and jumpers have a lot of fast twitch. I mean, it's genetic. I mean, you can make yourself a better sprinter. You can make yourself a better, um, you know, a better broad jumper, but your genetics have a lot to do with it. And if you have a high percentage of fast twitch muscle, it's more likely that you're good at sprinting and, and jumping than someone with a higher percentage of slow twitch muscle. That would be endurance athletes. Lance Armstrong comes to mind. I mean, Lance Armstrong had a high percentage of slow twitch muscle, but he was unbelievably equipped for these uh, Tour de France's. Now, I mean, he has some other things, freezing blood and um, <laughs> cheating, I think is what it was called. But um, so you got fast twitch, slow twitch. And and the, the guys that have a higher percentage of slow twitch seem to be more uh, injury prone, but they, they have these bursts of energies that you're like, wow, brought you up 28 feet? You know, ran a four four forty at 250, 60, 70 pounds. And then you've got these other, you know, endurance athletes that are more heavily uh, proportioned toward. Um, so they named this drink Fast Twitch. Now, that's a lot to say. But but here's my point. I mean, if you're in the energy drink sector, and, and a lot of us are. I mean, I've complained to my kids for drinking a certain energy drink that I think has poison in it. And rest you can't say that on radio, man. You can't call somebody by name and say it has poison. But it has a lot of sugar. And here's what Celsius and Fast Twitch have done. I mean, the, the, the creators of Celsius, and we know Gatorade is the creator of um, a Fast Twitch, they have provided the, um, the burst of energy you need to get through workouts at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. If you're a middle-aged man, you kind of hit that wall. You need a kick in the rear end to get you kind of motivated to do the rest of, of the day's job. These two drinks... Provide that with no sugar, zero sugar. I went online during the last break and read the the energy drink that dominates the marketplace has 27 grams of sugar per serving. These two have zero grams of sugar. And as someone who has studied health and wellness, sugar's kind of like poison. I mean, it really and truly is. The, the less sugar you eat, the healthier you'll be the less likely to be obese. Now, don't get me wrong. When, when, when there's a, you know, when you go through the donut section at the grocery store or the red light zone, I mean, there, there's a sensation. There's an urge. Why does sugar taste so darn good? Because well, I mean, it's a poison. I mean, it, it really and truly is. Now, now, if you don't care how much you weigh and you don't care what your, your metrics and measures are, then have at it. You know, eat a dozen every day. Um, you'll die soon. So we, you know, but, but we won't have long to listen to you complain, but, um, but, but it's just it, these two drinks, and here's where my quandary is. Pepsi provides us with, with samples. We try. We talk about these things. Um, I'm accused by about a dozen or 15 of you out there from making you an addict to Celsius. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, people my age in particular are, are kind of getting, you're getting a little older. You get to 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you hit that wall. You got to have something to get you going. You, you don't want a hot cup of coffee on a summer day. So you're beginning to reach for these Celsius. 
And, and I've had two or three people at the gym say, hey, man, you got me drinking these Celsius and I love them. Well, now we got another option <laughs> via the Pepsi family and it's fast twitch by Gatorade. But, but the consistent part of these two products, they are energy drinks that include no sugar. I mean, there's some um, essential formula in, in Celsius. I wouldn't begin to understand it. Um, the Gatorade is my first. I just took my first swallow of fast twitch ever. Um, I'll give a review as, as we move forward. But for those who are interested in, in having a little more energy for a workout or to get through the day's, the day's work, there are healthy options out there that don't include a five-pound bag of sugar along with caffeine to get you from point A to point B. And I want to thank Pepsi. I mean, I still got my life water here. I mean, that's the reverse osmosis, uh, natural healthy drinking water. Um, I've got my Celsius here, my tropical vibe. But now, added to the collection, I've got the um, the Gatorade Fast Twitch Orange, and, um, and we'll see how it goes. Um, I don't know that I'll have to decide whether to drink one or the other. I love the Celsius. Uh, I've got a lot of Celsius at my house. I encourage you to go get some Celsius. But now, Celsius has a competitor. And it's Fast Twitch, the latest product by, by Gatorade. But of the two, you'll have a preference. But remember, these are the two that are most healthy in the energy drink category. And the reason most of the other energy drinks aren't healthy, they got so much damn sugar. And you might as well go eat a dozen donuts than um than drink some of the other some of the other products. So I want to thank Pepsi for um for setting us up, Rev, with good products. And you would agree, you're nodding your head. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're not a sponsor of the show. They're a partner in in whatever it is we do every single day. And um they appreciate what we do. And I want to make sure we tell them how much we appreciate what they do. So you've got a um a couple of energy sources. So I'm going to text now. I'm getting a text now. Um, what is it again? Take a picture and send it to me. Um, <laughs> and I will. I mean, I'll take a picture and then send it. But it's just, um, you know, it, it's an opportunity for me to thank Pepsi of Florence. I mean, this is not corporate. I mean, you know, we're not associated. I mean, we do. Um, I mean, we, obviously, Pepsi is an iconic international brand. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But our partnership is relationship-driven. And it's with the people at Pepsi of Florence who have been so gracious, so kind, so supportive of what we try to do here. And the least we can do is um, is try and convince you when you make a choice in water, let it be life water. When you make a choice in soft drink, let it be a Pepsi product. And now when you make a choice in the energy drink sector, let it be Celsius or um, fast switch. It may turn me into JV on Clowney. I don't know. I mean, I'll be the fastest Maybe. guy on radio. Yeah. But, but I'll be on the DL. Make you talk faster. Yeah, I'll miss a day a week. <laughs> I got all these fast twitch muscles. Yeah, it, it'll make me jump and sprint, but it'll make me far more injury prone. And um, His bank account's benefiting well, from I, his I, fast I, I twitch, right? But, but his bank account is not directly proportional to his performance on the field. I mean, right. he's a phenomenal player. I mean, he's still a phenomenal player when he plays. But he has, I mean, I read this, he has such a high percentage of fast twitch muscle that they kind of predicted he's going to always have some of these issues. He's always going to be injury prone uh, because of that. But for those who say, what the world's fast twitch, that's what it is. Sprinters and, and, um, and, and jumpers have a lot of fast twitch muscle. Endurance athletes have a lot of, um, of slow twitch muscle and with Celsius and fast twitch, maybe I drink a Celsius to nurture my slow twitch muscle 
and a fast twitch to nurture my my fast twitch. <laughs> and we uh, haven't muscle. mentioned it also for a while. Speaking of the partnership, uh, Pepsi Cola of Florence provides a cooler here at the radio station office for guests of the radio station and this show uh, with Pepsi products featured in there, and we always appreciate that as well. And I know the Celsius is good stuff because I would stash it. I mean, Rev knows this. I would hide oh, yeah. it. I would hide it behind. I've seen it. The the the, the <laughs> rotten banana in the refrigerator and the uh, the diet Pepsi bottle. I'd hide it, and somebody'd find the damn thing, and I'd come in the next morning looking for my Celsius, and it'd be gone, and I'd complain. And Rev actually went on a journey. I did, and he identified the culprit. Am I right? I did. Rev I, came I, back. I found and, the empty in a, <laughs> in a trash can how, in the, in this the is back how studio. Lame we are. So Rev walks in one day with his phone and a picture. And he says, I found it. <laughs> and I'm thinking he found the Hope Diamond. You know what I mean? Or right. found the, 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 the ruins of the Titanic. No, he had taken a picture of the bottom of a trash can in an adjacent studio where that very treasured and valued <laughs> Celsius empty can <laughs> was in the bottom. So I've had my eye on that guy since then. In fact, I made sure he saw me place my stash the day before Monday. And I said, I always hide this. And if I catch somebody messing with it, you know, they're going to have big trouble you? from, you better believe I did. <laughs> and I did it on purpose. Oh, I would never do that. I mean, yeah, that's your stuff. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. that's yours. I said, okay. Uh, I have reason. I didn't say a thing, but I said, well, <laughs> if you want to break bad, Rev's got the picture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we know have the proof, the it's evidence. But, but long story short, thank you, Pepsi of Florence. We mean that, that sincerely. They're not just committed to what we do. They're committed to the community. And, and a lot of this is um is kind of interface with our community interaction with our community, but I'm confused. Is it Celsius <laughs> or Fast Twitch? Let's go to the phone. Here is David in the PD. Good morning. Hey, man, as a USC marketing major, that's a damn good name, Fast Twitch. I, that's got my mind working uh, early this morning. Uh, Ken, here's two songs I was thinking about. Um, remember the Who? They have a song called Eminence Front. And it's called it's a put on. And then the, 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 there's the guess who they had a song American Woman. And I was thinking about that interview you had with John Stewart. The guess who song was about the War Machine, and Eminence Front was about as a put on. So you had what was the lady's name, Kathleen Hicks? I get got confused. Kathleen Hicks, Hicks yeah, Deputy but, Secretary at DOD. Absolutely. So she's she's defending the honor of Northern Virginia. And D.C., because they've got some inflated income up there. I'm going to take John Stewart to task a little bit. You know, we used to live in a world that we had real-life coal miners. Now you got virtual data miners. And I guess our whole economic strategy, we're going to export media and entertainment to China. But, I mean, you brought up so many good things today. We are living in a world that we have overinflated, unionized public sector jobs. What do these people do? They take their uh, overinflated assets, and where do they move to? Right next to you down there in Pauly's Island or whatever. But, I mean, the empty nester subdivisions, we move to the golf cart communities. Uh, I think of Seinfeld. They think that there was something called the Boca Vista uh, down there. And I'll leave you to this, man. When I think about people from up north, and maybe you, it's nice weather this weekend, so you go down to Pauly's Island. There are seven Jersey counties across from, from New York City. They have five million people. They live in an area that would consist of Horry County, Georgetown County, Charleston County. 
Could you imagine this whole state living in those three counties? That's what they're used to. So all this population density, they're used to it. So it's a joke to them. They they love it. They love it. They love it. They love it. So y'all have a good weekend, my man. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. You know, and I want to say this. Um, in my business dealings, I'm always the person who tries to get there quicker than anybody. And I'm talking about some of the complex business deals I've been. I got three partners. I mean, just unbelievably good partners. They're smart. They're capable. They're competent. They're dependable. They're everything you want in a partner. They all agree that, that I try to get done in 10 minutes what it normally takes two hours to do. And I'm talking about meetings. We're meeting with a construction company. We're meeting with an architect. We're meeting with an engineer. We're meeting with a property owner. We're meeting and we're trying to foresee what the potential in this property is. And, and these partners of mine are like, hey, man, slow down. I mean, we'll get there. Um, we, we need to decide, is it 10 or 12? Is it 14? Is it 16? I mean, whatever, whatever value we're chasing, I feel like I've already seen it. I don't think that's a gift from God. I mean, I don't think I'm any smarter than anybody else. I think I trust my instinct more than, than most do. So, so when instinctively I hear there, there are three nations on earth that have a lot of enormous uh, geopolitical sway, Russia, China, and America. I mean, there's no doubt where the cat's meow. I mean, there's no question right now. If I had to, if I had to say, where do you want to live? China, Russia, America, America. I mean, I am as patriotic as they come. I am as American loving. And I mean, give me the, give me the good old red, white, and blue thing. I mean, I'm all about that. Give me a Bud Light or a Jefferson's ocean or a Celsius fast twitch during the week. G give me, give me the American flag. Give me the American way of life. I'm in like Flynn. I want to be a part of that. But, but I also have to accept reality, Reb. And, and, and it goes back to this. Okay. The partners of mine are very comfortable having the two hour meeting to make sure they understand the facts. I think I understand the facts in 10 minutes, but I put up with the other 50, 100 hour and 50 minutes because it's just what I do for my partners. Now, that, that's pretty egotistical and arrogant on my behalf. I mean, it is. And, and I'm not as smart as they are. I've not been as successful as they have been. But, but I, I still believe that I can figure this thing out in 10 minutes. But because my partners want me to do this, I'll sit around for another hour and 50 minutes and listen to this dog and, and pony show. Well, I, I apply that same standard or that same instinctive quality to America, China, and Russia. So Russia is producing energy like they never have before. China is consuming energy like they never have before. So they've got this alliance that is not in America's best interest. I mean, we understand a barrel of oil, a gallon of gas, powering an economy with carbon uh, or hydrocarbons. I mean, you understand it. I understand it. Everybody understands it. Some like it, some don't like it, but there's value there. I mean, there's intrinsic value. The Russian economy is generating a lot of energy. They're exporting a bunch of energy, and into their coffers come enormous amounts of money. The Chinese economy, it's the world's manufacturing plant. They've invested enormous amounts of money in their manufacturing infrastructure. Now, it's not capitalist. It's kind of a quasi. It's what Gorbachev tried to do in Russia back in the day when he visited China to see how they pulled off this hybrid between communism and capitalism, but they make things. They export stuff. Um, widgets are put on ships and containers, and they go around the world. They're put on rail cars and, and, and tractor trailers, and they go around made in China, Russia generating energy. And the wealthiest people in Russia are in the energy business. The wealthiest people in China 
or in the manufacturing business, of course they've gained government favor. I mean, do we, are we any different than that? I mean, we've talked two hours about the, uh, the Department of Defense. I mean, do you believe the consultants and lobbyists and CEOs of defense contractors live um, below the median income of Americans or above? So, so to suggest that, well, I mean, our, our system of economic advancement is more honorable than theirs is, eh, maybe. I'll put a question mark beside that for now. I don't know if it is or not. I think we've got American oligarchs. I mean, we're not a theocracy like the Middle East. We're not run by religious zealots and leaders, but we're run by well-heeled business people who have uh, ingrained or, or entrenched themselves in the system of government that is very financially advantageous. But you've got Russia and energy. I mean, a gallon of oil, excuse me, a barrel of oil, a gallon of gas. I mean, the, the value there is timeless. I mean, it's going to be, that, that's important. The world can't do without that. And then you've got manufacturing. We got foundries and 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 manufacturing plants and assembly lines in China, and, and yeah, they're quasi-government run, and the government sets up people in business. I accept that as an imperfect part of the debate, but then you've got America, and when you look at America, all I see is uh, quantitative easing, and bond buybacks, and synthetic derivatives, and mortgage-backed securities. Would you rather have um, an economy where people get wealthy of producing energy? or manufacturing widgets, or the financial creativity within a capitalist economy. I mean, what is more sustainable? What is more intrinsic? What is of greater value? To me, it's a no-brainer, and that's why I'm concerned. We're declining to produce the energy we could. We're declining to manufacture our capacity, but we're choosing to allow Wall Street to gain such favor and the financial class to gain such favor with our federal government that the wealthiest people in America are those who move, you know, a stack of quantitative derivatives from one side of the desk to the other. And at the end of the, um, the tax year, they declare a billion dollars as their personal income. And that's just a weird way. And once again, my, my partners would want that two hour meeting to better understand manufacturing power and quantitative easing. To me, it takes about 10 minutes. And, and I'm short on an economy that has allowed itself to become so financialized. I'm long on economies that make things and produce energy. And, and, and you, Breeze was talking about what, what is our chance at redemption. I mean, if we get back to producing energy, if we get back to manufacturing and exporting products around the world, if we take the capitalist economy that is the greatest the world has ever known and allow it to liberate itself free of government intrusion, free of government distortion, we've got a chance. But if we continue to allow the highest paid people in America to take a stack of paper from one side of Wall Street and run it to the other, and out of that comes a billion dollar a year income, we'll get exactly what we deserve. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's go to the phone. Mike in Darlington. Morning, you're on the air. Uh, good morning. Uh, it's a great show. I'm sorry I had to miss part of it. But uh, that was uh, uh, that Celsius drink is really good. It's better than two cups of coffee, I guarantee you. And it uh, and just for the record, twenty six, twenty seven gram, twenty seven grams of sugar is about an ounce of sugar. That's a lot of sugar to put in your tea. And uh, but I, that Celsius, uh, that that's a good product. They, but uh, what I, I was thinking about was you're, you're saying uh, Gorbachev tried to convert the 
Soviet economy and everything. Well, we had a depression, I think, somewhere around uh, 1930. And uh, it crashed the whole economy, the whole world economy. And uh, it took us until World War II, Pearl Harbor time, for us to get out of that depression. But Germany was out of it by 1935. They had figured out how to do it, and uh, they just about conquered the world. They would have conquered the world, and they did it without having a single operational productive oil well and without uh, rubber. They were synthesizing everything out of, out of coal. And uh, we have lost our minds trying to make these electric cars and everything because uh, they cost one and a half to two twice the resources and energy to produce and to produce the work that's needed. That That is moving 2,000 pounds down the road for 100 miles. It costs twice as much with an electric car as it does with a gasoline-powered car, and we can't even tell the difference between a man and a woman. Now, you tell me we have not totally lost our minds. We, we, it's not, it's going to be pointless whether we cut Social Security or Medicare because we're going to end up with a situation where, uh, yeah, you've got a, a welfare check or a Social Security check for a million dollars, but a 12 ounce pack of bacon costs $100,000. So, what good is that? It, I just don't understand it. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Oh, let's do this. I, I, I've said several times this week, and then it's my opinion, politics runs downstream of culture. So if our culture has developed and evolved and ended up in a place where anything goes and everything's going to be okay, I mean, in essence, I don't want any trouble, right? I mean, you, you know, Joe Sixpack doesn't want any trouble. Um, I don't want to make hard decisions, man. I mean, why? Because they're hard. I, I, I want to be on easy street. Why? Because it's easy. So our culture has decided that it's going to kind of, um, it's going to rally around anything goes. Well, what does anything goes? Well, anything goes means that, that, that uh, a person can wake up one day and declare themselves a woman, wake up the next day and declare themselves a man. So, so instead of confronting that warped and perverted ideology, and it is an ideology. I mean, it's a part of our culture. It, you know, ideologies don't ha- just have to be political. I mean, they're cultural ideologies. They're societal ideologies. Um, they're conflicting ideologies, contrasting ideologies. Very often we say ideologies are uh, kind of a political word. Well, I mean, in, in the sense of hosting a radio show, it is. Damn, Fast Twitch is working for it. going to say. <laughs> I'm fast twitching. T- take, um, take a deep breath. I mean, I'm, you see me. I'm jumping around in this Man, chair. And, I see uh, it. Anyway, um, <laughs> give me some weights to lift. I mean, that, that's what I – some push-ups while Rev takes over the uh, – the, the, the broadcasting privilege. No, but but if if culture has if if politics runs downstream of culture and culture frames the political debate eventually. In other words, we don't wake up tomorrow and, and the country decides that, okay, culturally here's where we stand on on transgenderism. I mean, let's use that as an example. Because I think that's a concoction from hell. But but it's being normalized in America. But a lot one of the um, international iconic brands just decided not to use Kid Rock, not to use Travis Tritt, not to use Chase Elliott, not to use Dale Earnhardt Jr., but instead a social media influencer who is a grown man dresses as a little girl. 
I mean, they've decided. So, so society and culture have decided pretty much that anything goes, right? Take the debt. What, what is a lot of the narrative in, 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 in our culture today? Um, everything's going to be okay. We're America. I mean, we're, Amer- we're not, you know, the Russians do this, the Chinese do that, and the North Koreans do this, but we're America. I mean, we're ordained by God. We're, we're blessed by, by providence and guidance. And then, you know, it's going to be real hard for us to screw it up. Well, that's kind of where we are culturally. Now, I don't think politically we've got there, but that's where we're headed. I mean, it, 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 there will be a law. There will be a Supreme Court rendering a decision in the next 10 years of, of whether or not Dave Baker has to identify someone as their gender of choice. There you think will that's be, coming? Oh, yeah. There's no doubt in my mind because, once again, Rev, culture has decided that anything goes and everything's going to be okay. Anything goes means transgenderism is normalized. Gender dysphoria is not a mental illness. Gender neutrality is to be accepted. Sex change operations are to be normalized. But that, that's the anything goes culture. So if our, if our politics runs downstream of culture, if I'm right, could be wrong, but if I'm right, then, then why wouldn't the, the body politic begin um, addressing the political issues based on what the culture of the country is? Let's go to debt. Everything's going to be okay. Why? Well, well these Keynesian economists say it is. These modern monetary theorists say it is that the contrasting voice that the um the contrarian is going to find himself lonelier and lonelier and lonelier and poorer and poorer and poorer and less connected and less connected and less connected uh the the ones that can afford to will probably move to wyoming i mean they probably will remember the article we read and um, one, one of the, uh, it's kind of a left-leaning magazine that the only thing more prevalent in the sky around Jackson Hole than eagles and osprey are leers and gulf streams. I mean, a lot of the wealthy people see this, anything goes, everything's going to be okay culture, and they know, they're smart enough to know that eventually our politics are going to reflect that sort of um, prejudgment. And, and what are they doing? They're buying big ranches in um, Montana and, and uh, Wyoming. Why? To get away. I mean, they're cutting a deal with the federal government to put them in conservation easements so they get the tax advantage of that. Uh, they'll park their Gulf Stream. And I'm talking about wealthy, wealthy people who aren't morons. These are plenty smart. They're doing what I wish I could do. <laughs> now, now, Mike gave me the ultimate compliment. We need you in the fight. I mean, that, that'd say, and when Mike said that last week, that inspires me. Uh, my wife says, you ain't moving to Wyoming. You couldn't run from this fight because it's too important, too critical. And I've got kids and hope to have grandkids one day. But, but the, the, the anything goes, everything is going to be okay culture is going to become our political ideology. I mean, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. 80% of young people are voting Democrats. Democrats are telling um, young people anything goes and everything is going to be okay. Now, I don't buy into that. I don't think anything goes. And I damn sure don't think everything is going to be okay. But they're going to isolate me. And they're going to make me more of an outcast, more of a, a kind of a marginalized voice. And one day, I mean, I don't know what happens when it blows up. I mean, am I going to take any solace in saying, I told you so? I mean, I hope not, because I'm going to hurt like everybody else is going to hurt. I'm going to be financially disadvantaged like everybody else is going to be uh, financially disadvantaged. This is when I freak you out, because I can look in your face and see, Hmm. you know, that I'm freaking you out. And once again, some people need a two-hour meeting to land here. I get here in 10 minutes. And I'm convinced that the anything goes culture and the everything's going to be okay culture is going to eventually 
be our political identity. And when that happens, that the contrarians will be outcast. I mean, it will be as if we had leprosy. You know, the, the, these radical radio show hosts who kind of, um, uh, that they advocate these conspiracy theories. And, and you, know what, you know what's going to be the, um, the relevant conspiracy theory moving forward? That, that everything is not okay. And anything cannot go. I mean, we're going to be, once again, the counterculturalist. And are we willing to dance naked on a Volkswagen at Woodstock? In the mud. I mean, I don't know. The counterculturalists of the 60s were, and they got their way. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. What is normal today, Rev? Who do we celebrate today, Rev? Do we celebrate pastors? Do we celebrate morality leaders? Or do we celebrate sex, drugs, and rock and roll? Mm. You're guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. And, and I think that was the beginning of this anything goes and everything is going to be okay cultural element that eventually defines who we are politically. 843-661-0937. If I drank this fast twitch and this Celsius, I think I could whoop Usain Bolt in a 100-meter dash. Watch out. Finish that, challenge Lance Armstrong to a 100-mile bike ride. <laughs> let's take a break we'll be back in just a few moments i drank a fast twitch if i drink this celsius i may rob a bank after the, <laughs> after, after the radio show you're running pretty fast i don't know yeah 200 grams uh the the fast twitch also has electrolytes and pepsi does own gatorade got clarity from a pepsi man that they indeed do own uh own gatorade imagine the chemist at the university of florida who came up with gatorade as somewhat of a, um, I mean, it was to, to hydrate the football players at the University of Florida, and out of that came um, a sale to Pepsi that probably made that family uh, beyond wealthy. I think they'd already, I think they sold the Quaker. Is it right? Isn't there a company Quaker Oats or something like that? Um, Maybe so. Yeah, when I they were, remember. when they were not a major brand, they would have been kind of a second tier brand and sell to Pepsi. And next thing you know, Gatorade is, uh, I guess, the um, the sports drink of choice all over the country. It's kind of interesting. Beer and, and soft drinks are in evolutionary stages. Well, they're always in evolutionary stages, but they're, they're actually in a um, a period of transition. If you go to a, a convenience store now, there's a cooler full of soft drinks and four coolers full of alter- alternatives. Uh, you know, you got some of the uh, protein drinks and electrolyte drinks and um, designer waters. You got flavored waters. In the old days, the whole back wall of the convenience store was soft drinking beer. And it was about equally divided. True. Here's one side of the um the back row of coolers has beer, the other side has soft drinks, and now it's I mean, it's just a lot different than I ever imagined. I got a buddy in the beer business. We're talking about Bud Light. He tells me the the biggest change that he's seen in the marketplace of beer, there's no brand loyalty. They're young people want to try different things. Those damn young people again. You know how they are. <laughs> they want to try different. In other words, they'll try this kind of um, craft beer or microbrewery. And then the next weekend, if they drink, they'll try another. Um, back in the day, I can't speak for Red, but back in the day, you kind of had your your choice. I mean, it, was, it would have been a Bud Light or a Coors Light or a Miller Light or a regular Bud Light, whatever. And you kind of stuck to that. Unless... You know, you're you're in school and the, don't have any money, and the natural lights on sale for nine ninety five <laughs> per hundred. <laughs> you buy a hundred right. of those, and we'd always say, "Hey, it's quantity, not quality." Yeah. Beggars don't have to be, or beggars can't be, but so choose. <laughs> had to do what you had to do, yeah. I guess. Back, back uh, in those days, no question about. It. Let's go to the phone. Here is Jamie. Good morning. 
Hey, good morning, fellas. Hey, um, Ken, I want to tell you a quick story about Gatorade. My uh, One of my best friends, he owns the Cape Fear Winery up in Elizabethtown. His father was one of the fellas that worked on Gatorade. And um, there were four or five of these guys that worked on Gatorade and invented Gatorade. And the university claimed 100% of the Gatorade invention. And these fellas took it all the way to the Supreme Court. Um, and the Supreme Court decided in favor of the university. But after that, um, anything that is uh, developed and discovered on university property and time has to be shared by the um, inventor. So those five fellas, they didn't get a single dime alligator raid. Wow. And you'll never. You'll never see Gatorade in any of these children's houses from um, from his father's uh, family. So that was a huge deal back in the 70s. Interesting. Thank you, Jam. Appreciate that. So so let's go to a, a, a university laboratory. Let's go to a medical school. Let's go to Duke Medical. So if some professor invents a cure for cancer in a laboratory at the Medical University of Duke, who gets the benefit? I mean, is it, is it, is it proprietary to Duke or is it belong to the professor? Hmm. Uh, what sort of um, deal has been struck there? Don't have any idea. Never been to Duke and I'm not a college professor, but I'm jacked up on this, <laughs> on this fast <laughs> yes, twitch. You are. Like you wouldn't believe. Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.